We bought a mic. We bought a mic. We bought. I said that we bought. I said we bought a mic. The other day, I ate an egg for lunch, and then I had an egg burp, and you know that it was funky. Jason Mraz, what's next week? The Lumineers? <laughs> you gotta tune in to find out. A pop culture podcast. Mm-hmm. We bought a mic. That's what we are. What bam? Episode ten. Happy wow. anniversary, guys. We did it. Yeah. I honestly thought that after episode zero, we would never talk to each other ever again. Yeah, but, yeah, but now we're we in, now we're in the double digits, yeah. so now we're it's just, getting real. You know, we're forcing friendship every week between us. Ninety nine percent of podcasts don't get past episode ten. I'm just kidding. So uh, yeah. next week will be a, a true, the true milestone. Yeah, we're the one percent. Yeah. So eat shit, Bernie. We bought a ba- Mike Wabam talking the latest in film, TV, music, all that jazz. Mm-hmm. My name is Ernest Calderon. I am Hunter Mobley. Drew Dietzen is my name, but you would know that if you would listen to the re- most recent Snyder Colin podcast, which nobody shout out because they just revealed all my personal information. With no regard for me. Yeah, if you want to know Drew's home street address and where he works and what he does on the regular business days, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, then just check out that mm. podcast. Fuck those guys. Um, no, we love you. Okay, so... You guys are doing a great job, Steiner and Colin. So <laughs> They're doing an okay job. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. They're doing fine. They're okay? like... We're like, I don't know, we're like jazz and they're like freeform jazz. Yeah. We're like La La Land jazz. Yeah, we're La La Land. And they're like whiplash jazz. <laughs> and they're Thundercat live. <laughs> <laughs> Today on the pod, we're going to be bringing you some movie news um, and then just get into what we've been watching. No big review, yeah. although we are going to talk a little bit more in depth about the Florida Project, the new Sean Baker film, and the series finale of mm. halt and catch fire mm. also um the new nathan for you among other things but before we get to any of that um we got fan mail whoa it's not quite hate mail but i'll take it all right um this one comes to us from mr david ibarra ibarro uh you can email us at we bought a mic at gmail.com with any questions or suggestions or comments any anything that uh you want to let us know or that you want us to get uh get us Mm. to talk about on the pod so david writes in what's going on guys honestly dav here and we'll we'll preface this with (laughs) saying um honestly dav has a youtube channel called honestly dav Mm. which is a subsidiary subsidiary of our big brother big sister big sibling um 
network that we have, Honestly Media. Yeah, yeah, we're in the process of a buyout. It's very lengthy and very expensive. It's not really a buyout, though, because we came first. Well, yeah. he, he essentially stole our intellectual property. Yeah. So we are in the process of reclaiming it. Yeah, but so as we're revenge, all friends, so it's, well, it's, it's just a lot of paperwork. As Revenge, we're going to acquire his show and then just like sink it. We're going to give it no funding and it's going to get ruined. So anyway, let's read uh, David's mail. <laughs> so our, our, our old friend David uh, writes, Honestly, Dav here, and I just got to say, I'm a big fan of your podcast. I have a couple questions slash cons- uh, requests, dot, 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 for Ernest. Sup, dude? I was wondering, since technically I work for you guys, I could possibly get some sort of video challenge? It can be anything you want slash can think of, and I'll honestly try my best. A video challenge for David? Yeah. So David um, is giving us three separate questions, one for each one. So I'm just going to go through and read all three of them, but then we'll go one by one well, and answer okay. them individually. Well, why don't we, let's what, let's try to think of a video challenge. Well, I already thought of one. What is yeah, it? So I guess, I'll get, I guess okay. we'll just get into it right now and then we'll read the other two once, okay. once we uh, talk what's, about what's this. What's your challenge? Um, okay. So David, I know you're listening. You're doing a great job with the videos. I am a particular fan of the perfect pillow one. I think that's your best one, best mm-hmm. work. But I want you to do something you've never done before. I want you to make a video where you go on a quest to find the meaning of the Kingdom Hearts, the Kingdom Hearts Keyblade. I want you to use the Keyblade as a prop in this video where you are essentially finding it or you come across it somehow and you have to go on a quest to uncover its meaning and why you may or may not be the chosen one. And you should have at least one 60-second sequence that is all done in one take oh, with camera movement. I think that should be the entire video in one take, just personally. I want it all Birdman <laughs> okay, style. Well, if you, if you do Birdman style, you can have cuts. You just have to hide them also, to make it look like there's not a cut. Question, because he asked for a video challenge, and we're doing this over a podcast, so technically it's an audio challenge right now. So do we have to put this podcast in video form in order for him to actually do it? No. Okay. <laughs> no, he'll listen to this. We'll upload it to YouTube with like some trippy visuals and be trippy. like, here you go. Trippy visuals. Yeah, just yeah. upload the challenge segment. Yeah. Um, alternately, a different video challenge. I want, I want, David, I want your fun, quirky take on a hardcore porno. Hardcore? Like analysis? <laughs> You want him to break down scene by scene. I just want like a funny, like classic David porn, you know, like <laughs> that's what I want to see from you. Your dick. <laughs> oh, okay. You want that tasteful, uh, Ibarra. Just some tasteful wiener. Yeah. Like, just like in the room. <laughs> yeah. You, you want him humping the perfect pillow. Yeah. But that's like... what I'm thinking. Like, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm disappointed. I love that video, but where is your dick? Yeah. In the video. Also, uh, Nathan, shout out to Nathan. Uh, he was telling me that you have multiple Keyblades. So you could use more than one Keyblade somehow to create some sort of action sequence where you battle uh, a foe of some sort. I mean, if Drew gave a video challenge, then I also have a video <laughs> challenge. Um, David, I want you to kill someone. Not as a joke. I want you to actually murder yeah. someone and serve at least 10 years yeah. in prison. Film and then tell and me it what it's YouTube. like. Do the whole thing with a body cam on so we can see what yeah. it's life on, like on the inside. 
also you should kill them with a keyblade. Yes. Yeah. That should be we should incorporate all of these videos together. He'll kill someone with a keyblade and then have a porn with their dead body. So mm-hmm. if if he actually does this, um which he will 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 they use this to. podcast in the trial? In the testimony, I hope so. Yeah, we're um, gonna be like that girl who convinced her boyfriend to kill himself. Like, we're just like, <laughs> it's on us. <laughs> and David, just keep in mind, if you don't actually do this, then like, we can take your channel down. Like, it's in our authority. <laughs> we can remove you. We can wipe you off the face of the fucking earth, you piece of shit. If you don't kill someone, we'll kill you. Yeah. Okay. So uh, <laughs> next question, he says for Drew, sup, bro? I was mm. wondering what exactly is pop culture. I was hoping you could describe it in one sentence without using the words pop, culture, people, hit, dongle, media, news, trending, modern, or society. Art that is shared among the masses. Done. Pop culture is art that is shared among the masses. Okay. Yeah. Very, very clean. I like it. Next question. Okay. That was... was He got a head start on that question. He was given it before time. He I was given it five he, minutes ago. He hasn't just like come up with that on the spot. Don't All be right. too impressed, <laughs> listeners. And then for Hunter, he says, "Saving the best for last." Here, sup, man. I was wondering hey. if you have ever seen slash heard of an anime called JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. If you have, what are your thoughts on it? And if not, you should honestly check it out. Okay, so my answer to this is um, no. <laughs> Can we can we move on? Or? That's then, all. Or? Yeah. Then he says, uh, "You guys are honestly <laughs> awesome. Keep it real. Okay. Love honestly." Oh, okay. And by the okay. way, no, no, no. Hunter, right. Hunter was given that question beforehand. He didn't come up with that amazing response like on the spot. That would be yeah. Way I was too hard. I was actually rehearsing that in the mirror for months. <laughs> yeah. Um. No, but I actually pulled up uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. It looks like the most Japanese shit ever here. Yeah. I don't know if it's just because I've discussed multiple animes on here before. I talked about Akira last week. Yeah, so somehow. Now I'm just, I'm the token anime fan yeah. here because there's always an anime guy in a podcast group. But I mean, I honestly probably have watched more anime than any of you guys. But I don't know. I mean, it looks kind of interesting. I guess it has a it has kind of a cool uh, idea where it's like almost like an anthology where it's all these different characters and like each season or arc is involving one character. It's a family. It's a family. And each yeah, each arc is a different family member. But they all have powers or something? I I mean, to be honest with you, I'm probably not going to watch this show just because I don't know how the fuck I'm supposed to watch this show. Do I have to get like a Crunchyroll? I have to get a Crunchyroll membership to do this. David, give me your Crunchyroll membership and I might give it a shot. This is just like a, a fucked up tip for anyone who doesn't have cable or anything. You can just Google watch like Nathan for you season two, episode one. Even if it's not on Comedy Central, it's going to pop up. You're going to have a weird website where you're going to have like pop-ups, you know, going on. Yeah, you're there's going to be some like strange like porn. You'll get a virus. There'll be like some weird Russian cam girl in the corner of your screen. <laughs> are, are you guys promoting like illegally watching videos I'm just, I feel like for cable? I don't know. I feel like people don't know that. You can just Google watch and then the show and the episode and it'll pop up. That, that. being like, said, all of us have a cable membership and we all pay for everything that yeah. we watch. Yeah, we're sponsored by NBC Universal. Yeah. And we're sponsored by CBS. All Disney access. Company. 
I send half of my paychecks to Walt Disney himself. <laughs> to young Sheldon. Yeah. I send it to the like the freezer that he's in. I mean, this uh, this JoJo show, unless it's on Netflix, like I mean, the masses are never going to like know I what said, it is. David, give me your Crunchyroll membership, and maybe I'll try out the I'll try out the first episode and see how it is. I see it has like a it's more of a manga than it is an anime. Um, um for me, there's only one JoJo neat. in my heart, and it's the titular singer from the mid two thousands. Get out right now. It's the end of you and me. That was beautiful. Thank you. All right, let's get into the movie. It's news. just a little too late. Okay, yeah, let's let's move on. <laughs> uh, so first up, we got uh, Netflix is going to spend eighty billion dollars on content. Wait, wait, wait. In no, 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 no. Eight, eight billion. billion. Oh, sorry. Eight. Okay. Netflix. Eighty billion dollars. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Netflix is going to spend eight, eight billion. Eight trillion dollars. <laughs> eight billion dollars on eighty films. They're coming out with eighty movies in twenty eighteen. Increasing the pricing for Netflix well, membership. Yeah, which... they've been incrementally increasing it over the last two years. So, doing that math, what is that like? How much? Like eighty million per film? Someone that can do math, tell me. Um, no, it's like a hundred million per film. Yeah, hundred. Yeah. yeah, okay. So that's some decent budgets on. A well, lo- I mean, most of them are going to be like not good. I mean, yeah, Netflix has evolved past good. Yeah, <laughs> so into we're bad. Make a movie but, and like sixty of them are going to have Adam Sandler in it. <laughs> but hey, um, Bright is coming out later this year, and they spent ninety million dollars on that screenplay from Max Landis. Mm. Mm. And it's directed by David. Um, yeah, Ayer, I mean, Max did. Landis has been pretty hit or miss, but I, I'm kind of excited for it. Speaking of Netflix, I really, really want to watch, and I think that we should all talk about uh, the Meyerwitz story. Mm. Yeah, I've, I've heard, heard some good, good buzz about it, and uh, I, I want to check it out. I mean, it's on Netflix. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, uh, essentially Netflix. Like in the beginning of their created content, they were just going for home runs every pitch, and now they're like. No, I mean, people like shitty stuff, and we make so much money from it. We haven't talked about it a couple weeks, but have you guys watched... Uh, it wasn't this most recent South Park, but the week before that, where... Um, I haven't kept up with South Park. Oh, my Park. God. I okay, to, so... I need to catch up. It's it's a, it's a Coon and Friends episode, um, and they're basically going through this whole thing where they're trying to be the new, like, Marvel thing, and they're like... Cartman's just, like, has this whole web of, like, phase one, phase two, phase three, and he's like, oh, we have shit. to start with a Marvel... With a Netflix series. That's and they're like, why Netflix? Why would you start the Netflix series and it's like because they will green light anything and then they call up Netflix and they're like thank you for calling Netflix you're green light can I get your pitch wow <laughs> it's a great great book. it's true they're it's, going I mean it's eight, an amazing amazing episode to produce 80 <laughs> films with that with 100 million each in just over the course of a year like that's so much, and I mean, obviously. Well, I'm sure the the eight billion is not going to be all for films. I think that it also be probably all the oh, probably, shows yeah, yeah. As it'll well. also be probably for getting more you. other content, like newer content that yeah. they don't currently have on there. Do you know how has it been announced? How much they're increasing? Uh, well, like subscriptions. Okay, so at this point, Netflix has like different price tiers, mm-hmm. so you can have like the basic, I, I think eight dollar amount is like the lowest that they do which is just like the most basic thing and then if you want to add more like you can have it so um you can set up your account so you can view netflix on multiple devices at the same time Mm. and the more devices the more money it costs true and then if you want to watch like hd or 4k then that's going to be more as well okay 
Um, I mean, but they want to get to like fifteen dollars a month. Yeah, we're gonna. I mean, they're just gonna. You know, they're gonna see how much they can milk us because we are gonna pay. Yeah, I'm gonna pay. Yeah, I mean, I, until well, I mean, not me specifically. <laughs> Yeah, yes. I'm, not paying, I'm not paying for my Netflix. Somebody I'm sure it's my parents' <laughs> account. I think, I think it's it's crazy that like we don't really know the intricacies of Netflix business. They have model. the most like, like how do they make money? algorithm yeah. ever? I guess they just rake in the cash with those subscriptions. Like they have enough subscriptions that they. I don't. I don't. Well, it's also it. like Facebook, where a lot of the money is in theoretical value. Where like if they, right, it's not cash. Yeah, like everything if they were, is about potential. Yeah, like if they were to sell the company or if they were to start using ads, yeah. how much money would they make? So much money. And it's like mm-hmm. stocks too, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, That's, yeah. It's, it's all money. Deal. It's all money that isn't actually there. But this uh, does bring up a good point that Nielsen just announced that they are going to introduce a new facet of their rating system to really include the specifics of Netflix streaming because Netflix keeps its numbers under a tight lip. Yeah, like they nobody don't say knows shit. nobody knows how many like, people watch yeah, Orange Showrunners showrunners don't know. Like yeah. Netflix showrunners have no idea who so how many people a show are will get canceled and the people that make that show will get no information as to like how many people watched it or like why it was canceled. Yeah. Their only indicator is how much money they're getting. Yeah. Like if it's getting bumped or if they're getting canceled. So obviously. we're, you know, pretty soon, hopefully next year, we're going to start to find out really how many people watch. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, that would be sick. We honestly. desperately, I'm, need, I'm really interested. We yeah. desperately need a new rating system for Netflix because the, Rating system for Netflix is fucking horrible. It's terrible. And Netflix originals always like the lowest I've ever seen a Netflix original has four out of five stars. Well, yeah, and no, you're like, really? It, the Cobbler is a four out of five stars. <laughs> yeah, really? Once is they that got, what you're telling me, yeah, they're stacking the game. Yeah, I mean, also just like what shows up in the tiles when you're scrolling. You, it's like, becoming so many more Netflix and more original content. They? Yeah, why would they not want to show you that and say, hey, this is good? But some of that, some of that shit doesn't make sense because. Then you think of a film like I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore, um, which won the Grand Jury Prize at the Sundance Film Festival. It just gets buried. And you couldn't find that movie. Yeah. You know, a, a, a big like indie darling coming yeah. out of a You film know what festival. you can find, though? Richie Rich. Oh, boy. <laughs> if Fuller House. If, yeah. if you're ever feeling like you can't um, decide what to watch on Netflix, just put on the first like two like 60 seconds of richie rich and then skip to the last episode and watch like the last 60 seconds it's incredible and you'll get the whole gist of it yeah, it, yeah essentially you might be thinking we're talking about the movie with macaulay culkin no netflix greenlit and produced a sitcom starring a different fucking stupid kid as richie rich and it's the worst it's so incredibly low budget for netflix like it's like yeah. unbelievably bad um, they have a, they have a bunch of shows that if you just put it on, you're like, what the fuck? Am yeah, I- it's like who? <laughs> why would watch who, this? Who did like, this? why did they make this? You know, I just it doesn't make sense. Like the kind of things that they do. How I mean, they're trying to do more stuff. Like with the Meyerowitz story, they're finally trying to do like what Amazon did last year with um with Manchester by the Sea, and they're actually putting it in some limited release, putting it in some theaters because they they're know, finally yeah. starting to do that with some of their more they want to get movies. that Oscar love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's the thing is, you know, that's just. It's just there for yeah. Oscar love, and they don't actually like care about. Well, like, we we should see the film to see if it's any good, you know. Before no, 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 no. I'm not trying to badmouth anything. I'm d- more saying about the Netflix model itself. Um, that's what I think is like so interesting about um, 
I'm blanking on the guy's name here, but the guy who left Netflix to make Movie Pass, uh, I think his name oh, is Mitch yeah. Lowe. Yeah, yeah, Mitch Lowe. He uh, left Netflix to start a Movie Pass, and they basically are going for the same kind of model as Netflix with the subscription model, except instead of getting people to just stay at home and watch everything from their TV at home or from their PlayStation or what have you, they're watching everything like in a movie theater, the way that filmmakers, old fashioned filmmakers, giant screen, the way that they intended for their movies to be seen. Yeah. And now, you know, everyone has a fucking streaming service. Like Mm. CBS came out with one. Disney is is coming out with with one. one. Yeah. And Disney's going to pull all of their content from Netflix. And I can promise you, I'm going to subscribe to the Disney. Dude, because because they're going to have everything. Star Wars, Marvel, every Disney classic. And like all the the classic movies, all the DCOMs, Disney Channel original movies. What What if Disney put out the original unaltered editions of star wars you would have to buy yeah a lot of people have been theorizing that's the must-have of that speaking of which good segue we have a new title yeah ron ron howard has taken to social media to put out a little video to unveil the title of the untitled star solo movie unnecessary use of video release so ron howard has come in to save the day from our boys lord and miller and he uh, has finished, refinished this refinished. film, and it's called Solo: Colon A Star Wars Story. <laughs> Not Han Solo, just Solo. I mean, like it's it's better than calling it Han. Oh, if yeah. I saw a, a poster for a movie that just Han. said Han, I would laugh. <laughs> just like, is that a is that a typo? Is this Ham? Yeah, or I would just think it's like a quirky indie movie about a German <laughs> serial killer. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's a generic name. I'm sure the movie's going to be <laughs> thoroughly makers, okay. From yeah. the makers of Juno, Han. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, I'm so busy killing people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm so busy killing. People. I hope. Uh, I hope Donald Glover has. Uh, a line where he says, "Well, I'm uh, I'm gonna leave you on this adventure, and now you're solo." <laughs> yeah. Do Han. you guys think that uh that Donald Glover is going to call uh Han Solo Han, just like Lando Han. does in yeah. the original Star Wars movies? <laughs> Han. <laughs> I'm really bummed out that Lord and Miller got bumped because. The, the main reason they got bumped is because they were encouraging more improvisational takes. And Lawrence Kasdan, the screenwriter, is really not into that. Yeah, he's no. like, he's like, read my fucking words. And it, that would have been so cool because Donald Glover is an amazing improviser. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't even imagine what he would have brought to the character. Yeah. So, well, I mean, apparently most of the problems that they had to change weren't with Lando, according to rumors and stuff. It was mostly with the kid who's playing Han Solo. Uh, but they had uh, to really Al- reshoot. Alden Eichwright? What's his name? Elden Something like Elden, that. Elden, I don't know. That kid, that guy doesn't look like Why? Harrison Ford. Like, they should have <laughs> casted the guy from Kingsman if they were going to. I remember he was one of the heavily rumored yeah. guys, and he has more of that. He is Like, you got to be a charismatic-looking guy to be Han Solo. This, yeah, this like, guy looks... This guy looks like if you looked at like Harrison Ford now and you tried to reverse engineer, you'd be like, "Oh yeah, that could be him." But if you, we know what Harrison Ford looked like, mm-hmm. you know, so it doesn't work. It, I don't buy it. The movie, I don't. I'm not really looking forward to it that much. I didn't really like Rogue One. I mean, the thing is, I'm sure it's going to be fine. But yeah, exactly. It'll be it. fine. Is that it, they were probably worried whenever Lawrence Kasdan, the whole crew saw what was happening with Lauren Miller's, uh, with their 
edition of their version of Han Solo, they saw that it was either going to be great or that it was going to flop, and they cannot afford. Star Wars is way too big of a company, and Disney is way they too big of a company. They didn't want to take the gamble. They can't afford to take a well, risk like that, so they're just willing to continue to pump out seven or eights and just pass them along. Or sixes. Yeah. <laughs> but um, <laughs> the Lord Miller, when they made 21 and 22 Jump Street, they essentially shot like several movies worth of footage mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and just found it in the edit. And just built it in yeah. the edit. Like that, they had. That's just not. You cannot do that with yeah, a major. Yeah. That's not how Kazdan like operates. That's not how Disney operates, where it's like, yeah, we'll probably find something. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's that. Now, the next thing is uh, uh, I don't know. It's an unsettling new trailer for a movie that is coming out. It's bad timing, really. Yeah, it's, it's horrible timing. It's created and directed and starring Louis C.K., who is, I mean, as far as comedy goes, he's like on the Mount Rushmore at this point. It's called I Love You, Daddy. And it's, if you think that's creepy, just wait till you see the trailer. So he wrote, directed, and s- produced and stars in this film. Yeah, he did He did it all. It's an auteur piece, much like Woody Allen. The movie is shot in black and white, much like Manhattan. It's set in Manhattan, much like Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> and it's about uh, an older man courting a 17-year-old girl exactly like manhattan yeah it's so the it comes up as to why is he doing that well i think i mean of course it took years and everything for this movie to be produced and put together and made he self-financed it didn't yeah that's the thing he didn't i mean he didn't know that this all this shit was going to happen yeah exactly well you have to consider that and also like this movie is going to be made in the tone of a satire like he's not doing this is that what as the like, trailer portrays at least that's i mean that's what i'm taking for it. why would he refilm manhattan like he's literally it's, making it just to i mean be it's like because an, I, an, a, he's making it to make a statement about woody allen as a person is the way that i'm taking i mean it. hopefully but the thing is louis ck has a slew of sexual assault allegations against himself so it's weird for him to make a movie bringing up the subject yeah. that he probably doesn't want to and, come up. And Louis another one of those really powerful Hollywood dudes. Mm-hmm. When people try to investigate that shit, they yeah. get shuttered out. Of- and yeah, and what what has come out, and it's not confirmed or anything, but what people have said that he does is almost identical to what Harvey Weinstein oh, yeah. does. He like apparently multiple people have experienced this. Like he'll go, they'll go into a hotel room and then like he'll, he's, like, in, a, he's in a bathrobe and he just like gets naked and like starts like jacking off and they're like, what the hell? And then they leave. Yeah. Um. So Fucked. it's like, it's like the timing could not be worse. Yeah. It's it's unreal. I mean, if if anything, like it's just gonna catch up to him and he's gonna have to address all this right around the time that his big movie's coming out. Or yeah. else it's no I mean, one's it's, gonna. It's give coming a shit. out pretty soon. It comes out November seventeenth as the release oh, date. Limited? I think. It, yeah, it's coming out limited. Yeah. It is not getting very well received so far by people who have <laughs> yeah. seen it. Right now, it has a fifty-seven yeah. percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It's, it's. I mean, I, of yeah. course, not a ton of people have seen it so far, but from critics, that's yeah. that's I mean, bad. A, a it's lot a, of critics are going to morally come out against it. And be yeah, like, I, I'm not even going to say it was good, even if it was. And because I mean, the cast is. I mean, it's got Charlie Day, Chloe Grace Moretz, it's got John Malkovich, but like, what a well, what Drew, a bad time. You, when you were first telling me about it, you said that it really teeters between being a knock on on alan or an homage well that's the thing we d- we haven't seen it so we don't know yet but we do know that louis 
I'm 100% sure that when he was growing up, he worshipped Woody Allen. Why else would he be Louis, putting Louis, all of his yeah, effort into a movie like this? He's super into like weird indie, like foreign films. He's super into auteurs. He is and a comedy auteur. Louis is like a TV version of like Woody Allen movies practically. Yeah. I mean, the trailer looks like a... No, I'm, I'm taking it just... The only reason why I'm saying that I think that it could be satirical is just because Louis is like a very meta comedic kind of person and he usually does make comments yeah. on society and stuff like that. But the trailer straight up looks like a Woody Allen homage. Even like the music, the music yeah. and everything. Yeah. Music, it's black and white, like everything like about it. I'm pretty it. sure he uses the exact same music yeah. from I mean, I really hope is it the that same it's font? trying to make a statement, but I don't know. It no, is, it's it's not the same font. Because Woody Allen uses the same font in all of his movies. <laughs> it's just so. like that white font against a black. <sighs> yeah. Background. So anyway, that's. I mean, the jury's out. We haven't seen it, so we don't know how self-aware it's gonna, he is. It's just it. going to be problematic, no matter what. That's the thing. Know? Yeah. This. It's not the time for that. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. was a long time ago. Very, that you could get away with that timing. shit. All right. Next up, we got Sony's Sony side attempt to bank off of what remains of their Spider-Man rights. They didn't sell all of their characters to marvel uh, they're only sharing spider-man with marvel so there's a whole another slew of characters that they still have the rights to and they're going to try to bank off of that mm. you know as long as they still have those rights they got to keep making those movies yep so they got so, venom yeah so it was announced one of the ma- most beloved villains in the marvel universe who was fucking like they shit the bed with Topher Grace in Spider-Man Three. That was a, <laughs> what a horrible waste. mistake. What a waste! Just real quick, Spider-Man Three. Um, I I was actually just talking to Lee about this the other day. Like, Spider-Man Three should have been just about Harry Osborn's relationship yeah. with Peter Parker yeah, yeah, because yeah, that's absolutely. what all the movies were. That's what it was leading forward. up to. Yeah, but it, then- it, it it went from them being best friends to them being like romantic rivals over Mary Jane. And then the third movie should have been like superhero versus supervillain. Well, you can really mm-hmm. tell that Spider-Man 3 is when studios stepped in. And then they were just like that. You could tell that Sam Raimi, as a great filmmaker, uh, had this idea throughout his first two movies that there was going to be this big buildup between uh, the two characters. Sp- yeah, between yeah. them, like finally going at it against each other in the third film. But... You could tell a studio yeah. stepped in there. It's like, no, we have to throw Venom in here, and we have to throw Sandman and in here. And we need Topher Grace. Yeah. <laughs> it has Topher to be Grace. Topher. Just like his contract yeah. just ended with that 70s show. He's available, guys. <laughs> he's he's a, he's on the cusp of really popping God. off. Topher Grace is basically Tobey Maguire. I'll yeah, say it. Way, I'm going to say it. similar of, of I'm, I don't regret anything. <laughs> Well, I mean, that movie just had so much potential. Because uh, fucking, um, what's his name? The Sandman guy. Um, Thomas Hayden Church. Mm. He's a great actor. Oh, yeah. James mm. Franco is also a great actor. And he does a great job playing Harry Osborn. Like, there's so much there. There's so much potential. Like, yeah. those first two movies were so fucking good. Mm-hmm. And they just shit the bed. So okay. now they're trying again. And about a year ago, it was reported that um, Tom Hardy is you know portraying eddie brock venom mm-hmm. and now and now they've been they're building out this really impressive cast i mean this movie is slated to come out next year but they haven't started shooting yet <laughs> slated i see what you yeah. just did there <laughs> because one of the cast members is jenny slate yeah. one of the most naturally funny human beings on the earth if you need proof of that look up her gabin like gals segment on the pete holmes show she's so 
fucking funny. She got she got a bad rap because she was kicked off SNL after one season. Uh, and she was pretty good, but then like one one episode she said fuck on the air, and that was like kind yeah, of a it was, big deal. Yeah, it was her only episode. No, she it? no, she made it the whole season. Oh, she just okay. didn't do anything huge, so she got fired. But she's so funny, and I'm really glad she's getting work. Also, she's dated like every like hunky dude in Hollywood. Yeah, so we should say we don't know who any of these people are playing yeah, other just, than Tom just Hardy. Cast members, they're but probably not, not they're going doing. to until they start shooting at least. But we also have Michelle Williams. Um, Great actress, the widow of the late Heath Ledger, mm. who was recently in Manchester by the Sea, and I think did she win the Oscar? I don't know. I don't remember. She was I nominated. Don't think. And um, then we got Riz yeah, Ahmed. Riz yes. Ahmed. Great playing, actor. Hopefully playing Carnage. Oh my god, that'd be amazing. Yeah, I'm hoping for that. If you're not if you're not familiar with him, watch Nightcrawler, and Nightcrawler. then watch The Night of. Even though I've only seen the pilot, great pilot. Such a good pilot. <laughs> Um, have, you, have you seen that pilot? Homer? I haven't seen the pilot. Dude, the Night you, Of is one of those miniseries I've always needed to get around yeah. to, but I just haven't. Grant really and I time. just watched that pilot like a, a couple, um, like a week ago so, or so. None of you guys have actually seen the whole thing. No, hey, just the sh- pilot. Hey, would you shut it? Oh. Okay. I mean, it's a it's a long <laughs> pilot. But is it an hour and a half or no, is it two hours? it's like 118 okay. or something. Yeah, it's, right. it, that's why, because it was like a movie, and I was Dude, like, okay, but it's done. So, it's so good. Like that's Yeah, that's the episode that won all the yeah. awards. Mm-hmm. Riz just plays this like really just kind of naive, unassuming guy that makes every wrong move yeah so many mistakes i really want to see this show because i've heard that it does such a great job of keep flipping you back and forth on whether you're just like did he do it did he actually do it it, just in the pilot like the pivotal scene right at the end there like kind of like the climax where he's um because the whole premise of the pilot is that he's just caught in the situation that he's hopefully going to try to get out of because the people around him don't know how involved he is in this crime. Mm -hmm. And he thinks that he's just going to be able to get away with it. But you know that there's going to be a moment coming where he gets fucked. And the scene where it happens is just such good TV because it really like takes its time and it lingers on these moments where there's no way it would play out like this in real life. You know, but this is a TV show. Like we're we mm. we're watching this to be entertained, and it just does it so well. Oh yeah, and you, it just gets under it's your got, skin. Yeah, it's got very slow pacing, but in a good way. So the director, the sorry, the director of Venom back to Venom, yeah, is Ruben Fleischer. Here are his credits: Superstore, EP, Rob Dyrdek's Fantasy Factory, EP of forty-five episodes, <laughs> Robin Big. So this guy is a hey Robin Big he, classic. Well, I'm not saying he's bad, but he's a comedy guy. So maybe that gives us some hints toward the tone of what the movie's going to be like. But, yeah, I mean, with Jenny Slate being in there, like he, he directed yeah. Zombieland. He directed Thirty Minutes or Less. Uh, so he's a Jesse Eisenberg fan. I take it. <laughs> he directed Gangster Squad, which sounds made up, <laughs> and I'm not convinced that it is real. <laughs> I mean, I mean, right right I, now, Jenny Slate has second billing on IMBD. I don't know if I want a comedic tone to a Venom movie. It should be like I'm not hard saying, R. Yeah, I'm, yeah, no, no. I'm not saying I don't want like BVS style. I want more in the style of like Logan, like something like that. That's like really violent. Yeah, like that's what I want from. If we're gonna have a true like Venom story, I think it should be what Suicide Squad should have been. I think it should be a, a mix of Logan and Deadpool. Because Logan doesn't really have any humor in it. I mean, it has like 
I mean, it can't be as heavy as Logan, of course, right. because we don't have any kind of a relationship to Tom Hardy as Venom. Right. It can't just jump into the end of his story without like knowing any no. kind of a setup. It's going to be the problem that Justice League is going to have is that it's going to assume that we already have these relationships with characters hey man, that we've grown up cyborg? with. Cyborg? Cyborg 2020, baby. That's never going to happen. Oh, yeah. Maybe if it's directed by whoever the fuck is directing Venom. I'll just step on Fleischer. Yeah. Who are these writers? We got <laughs> Kelly Marcel and Todd McFarlane. No, Todd, Todd McFarlane is the guy that wrote the comic book. Okay. But Kelly Marcel. Let's see what she's um, written. Fifty Shades of Grey. Off the off the bat. Oh, Saving boy. Mr. Banks. And hey, there's a little bit of a darker tone there. And <laughs> Fox's hit dystopian okay. show Terra yeah. Nova. We should not expect a lot from this. Hot, film. hot take: <laughs> Saving Mr. Banks is an okay movie. I never saw it. It's an okay movie. Dane Cook is in it. <laughs> I think Kevin Costner is in it. I want to say it's Kevin uh, Costner. Does Dane does Cook Dane, is in Saving Mr. Banks? Does Dane Cook play Mary Poppins? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm thinking of a totally. I'm thinking of a. It's a murder movie God with Dane Cook. God damn it, I knew Dane Cook wasn't right. getting work. All now. right, real quick, we're gonna look up and see what Dane Cook was in that I just mixed that up with. Goldie. It was definitely called Saving Something. Uh, you well, know, uh, Saving Somebody, Saving Private Ryan, uh, uh, starring Dane Cook. About a year ago, I was just like, I wonder what Dane Cook is doing. So I got on his Facebook. And he, all he oh, did, boy. all he does is post videos of himself lip syncing to songs. Oh, boy. yeah, like all alone in this giant mansion. Fuck. Why, that's, Dane? That's sad. And I got so sad. <laughs> God, this guy was once the height of comedy. Does he have a family? Like, is he married? I don't know, honestly. By the okay, by the way, guys, it was Mr. Brooks. Mm. Mr. Brooks was oh, the name of the is movie. Is that is that like Kevin Costner? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's what I was saying. It's it, it's Kevin Costner. Uh, Demi Moore's in it, William Hurt, and Dane Cook. Oh, good boy. Kill me. Never forget Employee of the Month, though, guys. Dude, hey, yes. Not a bad movie. <laughs> I love them. Not a bad movie. <laughs> Jessica Simpson, though. Oh. That was peak Cook. Here's a show I want to pitch. Okay, you know how in Employee of the Month, like it's a big box store, so they have like this lair up in the top level yeah. where they just like, hang carved, out. Yeah, they carved out a hangout space. Here's the show. <laughs> a group of like younger dudes are working at a store like that and they realize they can just live up there. Like they just make like carve out a space and they live in the store. Yeah, off of the the merchandise. Yeah, exactly. Like they just <laughs> see how far they can take just living in like a superstore cuz when I was a kid I would always imagine that. Like how long could I just stay in this Walmart? What what would season 2 be though? Season 2 is them uh moving into an apartment. <laughs> <laughs> and it just becomes season new girl. Two takes yeah. <laughs> and it's new girl. <laughs> Yeah. New guy. Oh, All right. Well, this Venom movie is probably going to be trash, but at least Tom Hardy's in it, and Jenny Slate's funny. Hey, Riz also, I'm, I'm still just scrolling through Dan Cook's IMDb here. Also, another movie that I enjoyed in middle school, Waiting. Yo. Waiting. Oh, is that with I feel uh, like, Ryan Gosling? Yeah, Ryan... Uh, or, or Ryan, Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. Reynolds. Um, yeah, Ryan Reynolds is in the movie. I feel like uh, anybody who's ever worked in a food industry would appreciate uh, Waiting. Yeah, there needs to be a new movie about working in a restaurant, because that movie is so dated now. If you yeah. watch it now, yeah. it was oh, like yeah. so mid-2000s. Like, mid like, like people like kicking each other in the nuts. Just, yeah, just the comedy <laughs> of it hasn't aged very well. I feel like there could be a TV show about that that's not Two Broke Girls. You know, like there's, yeah. there's that's not network. Probably about a million people in America work in restaurants, and there's no good show about it. Think that's about a good it. Point. 
Um, okay, so anyway, oh no, I'm looking at the list. All right, oh, now no. that we've talked about uh, some film news, before we get to what we've been watching, I want to talk about what I've been playing. Gulby. Okay, um, just quickly, because I haven't actually played it yet, but I just want to, I mean, we this is a pop culture podcast, which means we don't just talk about films and TVs and other pretentious bullshit. No, we also talk about fucking video games. You're talking we, shit about everything we we're just about. We're just a bunch of nerds here, okay guys? We're part of nerd culture yeah, here. Yeah, this is a nerd culture podcast. Welcome to the Nerdist. I'm Chris Hardwick yeah. and we're going to talk about nerd things and, and including <laughs> the year of video games and a year which has been dominated by Nintendo. It's Whoa. Nintendo's comeback, guys. Let's give it a, an applause. <laughs> Not monetarily, but critically, as per usual with Nintendo. Actually, yeah. I mean, the Nintendo Switch is doing very well. Yeah, we actually because, we actually haven't talked about this on the podcast yet. But yeah, I, I, Nintendo, I feel like it was time because uh, Nintendo has one of their just biggest do like a quick little recap of Nintendo's like last ten years because ten okay. years ago they had a huge right, so huge hit with the Wii. Let's start about well, let's talk with start with. They had the GameCube, which was not very successful, but it was beloved by gamers. And yeah, the controller is the still the controller used. is still probably one of the greatest controllers ever made. Then, and they saw. I mean, that before wasn't the making, GameCube, they were killing it. Yeah, with the SNES and the sixty-four. Sixty-four, and then we had the GameCube, which didn't make it. It wasn't super financially successful. So then they created the Nintendo Wii, which. Nobody, no real serious gamers ever took seriously, but it is the most purchased console ever in history, and no, mm. nothing will ever match the Wii. Like they reached a point in the those numbers were the insane. mid to early mid two thousands where every single household basically yeah. had a Wii because they had shit for kids, they had shit yeah. for teenagers and adults, and, and like they had all their. It was one of those things covered. that you never really needed to buy a game for it because I mean the most played game, like the best game on the Wii was Wii Sports. Wii Sports came, is such a good game. Wii Sports is great, and it, it's so. It, it was fun. it was a demo for the console. That's what's mm. incredible about Wii Sports is that that was the best game that Dude, came to the console. Fucking, it was free. I love uh, Mario Galaxy. Mm. Oh, Mario Galaxy. I mean, I'm not saying that there are no yeah. good games on it. Yeah, um, there was Mario Kart Wii. Mario Kart Wii. Twilight Princess was uh, re-released on the Wii. Um, so I mean, we have the Wii. Even which like was, even like ports. Like I remember playing fucking Call of Duty World at War on the Wii, and it, the graphics weren't great, but it was fun. Yeah, it was fun. The problem is that. It just had this reliance on motion controls because they yeah. thought they were trying to be. Nintendo has always been about cutting edge when it comes to technology, or and, even just like trying some weird and just trying yeah, some weird. They're the shit most imaginative see, game. Company. They're always yeah. trying to throw shit on a wall and see what sticks. And with the Wii, it was very financially successful. But for people, the problem is with the Wii motion controls. People aren't going to play something with motion controls for four hours at a time like right. they will with some other game on like the PlayStation mm -hmm. or the Xbox. There were times that I got like muscle fatigue playing Wii Bowling. Yeah, yeah. no. Like it was a workout. It's honestly a workout. <laughs> like, and then Nintendo moved on to their least successful console, the Wii U. People which, did not understand that this was a new console. Okay, yeah, that was problem number one. <laughs> People thought this was like an expansion on their Wii because they... Called We're it a Wii. Stupid. Yeah. I also had some of the worst marketing campaign I've ever seen. Their marketing, like all of their commercials and everything, consisted of like little kids playing on this like 
tablet, which to be fair, the tablet looks like a fucking leapfrog. Yeah, exactly. So, it looks like a little kid's And thing. this was at a point where we already had Apple coming out with the iPad and all these other things. So it wasn't that like this was the first tablet ever made. Yeah. We already it looked, had It looks so cheap design. compared to Apple. Yeah. yeah. It, made, it looked really cheap and... There was a a serious problem because Wii U had some great games on it, but nobody ever bought the Wii U because they were like, well, shit, I don't want to purchase this thing that looks really bulky and stupid. And that was when Nintendo started to have this idea of almost a portable console. But the problem is, is that you had to stay within about 20 feet of the home base or else it would say like you're disconnected. So it's not like you could take this this tablet with you yeah but there were some great games on it mario kart 8 is the best mario kart game great mario kart like smash such a good game smash 4 came out on there mm-hmm. super smash bros for the arguably Wii U. the best smash yeah i mean i i would honestly say i know there are like some fan melee. boys who love melee yeah. and everything but i think smash 4 as far as characters go as far as overall gameplay goes i think that yeah. smash 4 is the best i smash mean they game. killed it with the dlc yeah um but that moves into what came out March 3rd this year. I know because it was a day that will live in my heart forever. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> that was the release of the Nintendo Switch, which they took this idea. This is a game console that had been rumored for years, years. The it NX always went under, yeah, it always went under the name the NX, and it was one of those things that it was finally announced. They did a Nintendo Direct in, I think, January. So it was one of those things they announced this console and then they're like, guess what? It's going to be released in two months. And that resulted in like madness. <laughs> and Nintendo has it was always done like this another thing. another Amiibo crisis. <laughs> the great Amiibo crisis of 2014. Oh, we'll do an entire two-hour podcast on the Amiibo <laughs> crisis, of, especially the Wave 4 crisis. Oh my God, don't even get me started on uh, Wave 4. Don't get Hunter started on the Wave 4 oh, crisis. Oh man, Wave 4. <laughs> For Christ's sake, do World not War get him started. World War 3 is going to have fucking nothing on Wave 4. <laughs> but, um... Anyways, okay, so <laughs> Nintendo finally, they, they've done this thing always uh, throughout their consoles where it's all about this allure, which kind of leads into the reason why Amiibos had this uh, fabricated value to them is that they don't make enough consoles to meet demand, mm. and that results in people panicking and people waiting outside yeah, in lines fucking, for stores for six hours. Yeah, it's like and a Black Friday thing. It really is. And Nintendo makes a special event out of everything that they do, which you can hate them as a company for doing that, but it's a genius business model because it, it adds an allure to everything. This but also it also leads- makes it so their numbers are always going to be low because they have, uh, they, they're not, you know, saturating stores with their product. Right, but I think that Nintendo, I mean, the Switch has become, it's it's already, I mean, it's never going to reach the Wii numbers. I think that Nintendo as a company knows that, but well, it's already outselling. DS numbers? Well, okay, mobile, okay, up until the Switch came out, Nintendo had a separate section for home consoles and a separate section for mobile devices. I personally have not owned a, uh, I guess I had the DSi, but it was given to me by a friend. Um, so I was never really the last console, mobile console by Nintendo that I owned was the SP. Nice. And then I had the yeah, DSi, I had a red SP. which I played a little bit of like Animal Crossing on and stuff. But I'd never really and uh, Pokemon Black. I think I played on that uh, console, but I was never as big into the mobile consoles. Uh, whenever I got into like high school and stuff like that. So then um, we have 
up until the Switch was released, now that uh, Nintendo has merged their home uh, device and their mobile device into one section, so it essentially is going to lead to I mean, they're still double make, the games. They're still going to make the DS, right, with the 2DS. Well, they have. They I mean, they're not. They're not that? discontinuing it yet because they just re-released some of these, like the new the 3DS X or whatever the fuck it's called. I mean, this like past year, they're not completely discontinuing it. But I feel like in the next three, four years, they're kind of going to go away from it because. What's amazing about the Switch is you can plug it into a port, play it at home, or you can just take the tablet with you on the go. Mm, yeah, while you're driving. I, I have a con- yeah, while you're driving. Yeah, I have a <laughs> set your cruise control to make to you. The Switch is cool. Yeah. See, thank you, Drew. Thank you. It's, yeah, it's I'll say it. awesome. Drew, like, you have you have you held it? Have you played it? Yeah, I played on a Switch. It's really good it's quality. It's cool. Like it's, it's the good. Screen it's is really great. lightweight. The screen is like really, really. It's surprisingly good quality. Yeah. I mean, like, it's just it's a way better Wii U, and it's what the Wii U always should have been. Right. But the problem is that Nintendo felt like they had to rush to get out the next thing with the Wii, so they just put out. Yeah, I'm down. Put with out the, the Wii U. I'm switching. It's and the best thing about it that is keeping people coming to the Switch is the games, which is something that. I mean, the Wii U had some good games, but it didn't get good games until after it had been released for, like, yeah. three years or so. I mean, Nintendo like, hasn't really ever prioritized their versatility of games. It's always been Mario or Zelda. Well, also, and, uh, also, business-wise in general, Nintendo has always made, like, horrible decisions, but their products are so good that it doesn't matter that much. And I think that they it's not necessarily that they've completely gone away from uh, prioritizing their first-party games like Zelda or Mario, but we've gotten, I think, arguably, I mean, I will always love in my heart of hearts Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask, but it's really hard to say that Breath of the Wild isn't the best Zelda game ever made. Yeah. Like, it's, it's literally, it's the best open world game that you could ever possibly imagine. It is a truly, truly open world masterpiece. What and about GTA Five? <laughs> yeah, I fucking um, love yeah, GTA Five. Can 5. you can you um, kill cops in <laughs> Breath of the Wild? Yeah, is Zelda a hooker? <laughs> can you kill Boba Lokans in a uh, GTA Five? Damn! Can bitch. you hijack a jet yeah, in can, Z- Zelda? You can hijack a horse. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> so Red Dead or yeah, yeah, it's Red Dead. <laughs> Um, no, but I mean, Zelda, of course, is incredible, and we've just had some really, really great games. Of course, we've had a lot of, uh, or we've had a couple ports over from the Wii U. We had Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which was Mario Kart 8 from the Wii U, uh, with its full, all the DLC, everything, plus a couple extra things, uh, that was ported over to the Switch that came out in April, um... We've had a lot of, and what's really, really encouraging is the third-party and indie games that have been coming out on the Switch. So we've had things like Shovel Knight getting big releases, lots of like really, really smaller companies, like uh, or things that you would only ever be able to find on Steam. Like for example, I just uh, purchased a couple weeks ago Stardew Valley, which is a game that I've always really wanted to play. It's kind of a mix between like Harvest Moon and. Yeah, it's like it's like Harvest Moon and Terraria like had a baby I love together. Terraria. Yeah, it's like a mix between those two things. It's an amazing, awesome game. Like there's stuff like that. We've had a Is it Terraria or Terraria? Terraria. It's Terraria. 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 Um 
Sonic Mania, which is like a re-release of like an old Sega Genesis game or a Sega Saturn game. Um, and then also like good sports games are actually coming out for it. We've had NBA 2K18, oh. FIFA 18. Oh. And now we're going to get coming up this holiday season, Super Mario Odyssey, which looks so so much fun it looks really awesome and we have a new project sonic game that's coming out that looks like the best kind of mashup between the classic 2d side scroller sonic and the newer age 3d sonic um sonic heroes yeah sonic heroes sonic heroes sonic heroes i played so much of it oh it's a great game it's don't say that but I mean, yeah, I just want to say like shout out to Nintendo. They've they've won this year for video games. Also, let's not forget Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Whoa. As one JRPG I will be plugging like about 2000 hours of my life in. Oh my god. Hell yeah. Okay, so that was Switch time. We're going to take a quick break while Anubis keeps chewing on my hand. <laughs> And uh, we're going to get into what we've been watching. So After I play some Switch right here. We'll be right back. This episode of We Bought a Mic is brought to you by Sonic Heroes. It's like super hot. I get really hot whenever I talk about the Switch. <laughs> it's That's... shit without adding goldfish. <laughs> I Don't fucking eat it. I see, because I did this just kind of on a whim once because I had the trail mix and then I had goldfish and I was like, oh shit, that's great. So I went to Target again. And I, I got a different uh, trail mix because I was like, well, I don't want to do that shit again. So I just got a different one. And then I was in the checkout line and I was like, I got to do it again. So I ran back and I got the right trail mix and I got a thing of goldfish separately. So now every time you just have to put the goldfish in there? I mean, yeah. And we're back. This podcast <laughs> is also brought to you by Heineken. Fuck that shit. Paps Blue Ribbon. What's that from? Pabst Blue Pribbon. Fucking Blue Velvet, bro. Culture yourself on some Lynch. Oh. <sighs> and we're back. <laughs> okay, so let's get into what we've been watching. Um, I want to start off by talking about a documentary that just dropped on Hulu. It's uh, about... Is the- it a Hulu original? Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming... Um, they're, they're advertising for it like it's an original, but it's about the Dana Carvey show, which is a show that most people, especially our age, have no idea about. In general, p- 
people don't realize how big of a deal Dana Carvey was in the 90s. He was like the golden boy on SNL. Everyone loved him. He had uh, like 10 different iconic characters. So when he left SNL, everyone was like, what's he going to do next? He got offered a late night show like in Letterman's spot. And he said no. Um, and then, you know, there was just like, he was like, should I have an HBO show? What should I do? He ended up coming upon this idea of just like a weird variety sketch show that ended up being on ABC. And so the cast and the crew that he assembled for the show is unbelievable. Acting, second bill acting, because Dana is the star, were two nobodies in like the later 90s named Steve Carell and Stephen Colbert. Jesus yeah, Christ. they were wor- both working at Second City. Colbert was actually Carell's understudy at the Second City Theater, and they both got cast in it. Um, writing for the show, the head writer was a 29-year-old nobody comedian named Louis C.K. Um, and then the o- 29, yeah. Oh, okay. And then the other head writer of it was Robert Smigel, who's lesser known, but he's a, he's like a comedy titan. He's mm-hmm. he wrote for SNL forever. He came up with Saturday TV Funhouse. He's the guy uh, behind, literally behind Triumph, the insult comic dog that goes around on you know all the shows, um, and so together all these huge minds. That's just off the top. Like Robert Carlock was involved with this, who is the co-creator of Thirty Rock and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. So they all ended up writing this weird fucking like countercultural sketch show that was so not good for like primetime TV. So the whole documentary is just like interviewing them about the show because it's a colossal failure. Like it lasted eight episodes and it was. Wow. And it was supposed to be like the next big show. Yeah. Cause know? Dana Carvey was the guy. Like it can't be understated. He, it was like when Will Ferrell left SNL later on, it was like, what's he going to do next? Yeah. He was that big. And like this, this show was like just the start of him just kind of fizzling out. Like, he's still great, but he didn't have the career that people thought he would. And our generation only really knows him for Master of Disguise. Which what is, is he doing now? Uh, he has a new Netflix special. Well, do people know him from Wayne's World, too? I mean, yeah, yeah, he, yeah, people, Wayne's, World. yeah Wayne's World and, like, yeah. all his SNL characters, the church lady and all that. But, like, what, by the time we were kids, the only thing that he was in was Master of Disguise, essentially, which is a horrible movie. But... Anyway, so yeah, it's it's a great documentary because it chronicles one of the most interesting like kind of examples of how such a good thing can go so wrong. And it, part of it was like they were kind of begging for it to go wrong. Like it was so so risque and like just counter like punk rock in a TV show basically, and it came on after Home Improvement, which was the most popular yes. show in America and was a family sitcom. But they were they were taking this angle from the first episode. Yeah, like that's you were telling ex- me about yeah. the b- very beginning of the <laughs> Li- first yeah. episode. Literally, like there were a bunch of arguments about it. But Robert Smigel and Louis C.K. All of them were essentially just like, we don't care what people think. We want it to be like you. You turn it on. You're like either I'm turning it off right now or I'm gonna like stick it out for this. So their first sketch that they ever aired right after Home Improvement, which a lot of families watched t- together was a sketch where uh, Dana Carvey is President Bill Clinton. And he's like, just to prove that I'm like a family man, I have surgically attached a series of lactating nipples onto my body. And so then he rips open his shirt and there's like eight nipples and he's breastfeeding like little babies and puppies and kittens and stuff. 
and they had Nielsen ratings for when it premiered. And in those three minutes, six million people turned their TV off. Wow. <laughs> for That's the incredible. first episode yeah. of the Dane and they show. And so they started, like, their sponsors started pulling out of the show. And the writers, um, another writer I didn't mention is Dino Stamatopoulos. Who, oh, yeah, Dino. Who, yeah, who went on to, he's uh, writing-wise, he's most known for writing some of the greatest sketches of all time on Mr. Show. And then he went on to be in Community. As uh, Starburns. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, they, they just, I mean as people were turning on them, they were like, well, yeah, fuck you. We, we resent what a lot of TV has become. So it became like a show that was saying, fuck you to TV, but in like the funniest way possible. And there were so many great, like dark sketches. And then a lot of really good, like straight down the middle sketches that were just like stupid and funny. Like, Carell and Dana Carvey did this bit and it was just two guys that were like pranksters like they're pranking people but they don't realize that they're not actually pranking them and they're just fucking <laughs> themselves over so like they'll go up to like a movie theater and they'll be like cracking up and they're like uh, two tickets to the movie please and he's like alright 20 bucks and they give him 20 bucks and they're like Ooh, and then they like turn around and run away <laughs> Like, it's just a lot of it is just stupid, funny stuff like that. So, yeah. So, anyway, it's a great documentary because you get to see, you know, Carvey and Carell and Colbert and et cetera being interviewed. They don't get Louis for the interviews, which is probably relates mm. to his policy with his kids. Because uh, if you don't know, like, he has his kids one week on, one week off. And when he has his kids, he refuses to do anything involving showbiz. So, his schedule is very tight. Mm. So, that's probably why. But, um, Anyway, they, they do a lot of like Robert Smigel interviews and Robert Smigel's like basically Louis C.K. but more of a writer. Um and it's a it's just so fun to watch. It's so fun to like A the story is incredible. I mean if you're like a comedy nerd and you like hearing about like T V writing and all that stuff. So what's Dana Carvey doing now? Is he just like doing he, bit parts on SNL again? No, he doesn't do SNL at all. He's he's a, been he's been on a couple times. I mean, he recently. was he was just on for the fortieth anniversary, yeah, and then like maybe one other bit. But he has a new he does stand up and he has a new Netflix special out, and it's called like Straight White Male Sixty or something. Oh yeah, I think I saw that. But it's it's how is the special? Uh, based on the trailer, I'm not going to watch it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, but this, it's just a really cool documentary. You get to, you know, you get to hear about like where all these people were at before they were anyone. Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess it's less about uh, Carvey and more about the writing staff and like, it's, yeah, it's just about all of them. Like it's about the entire project and how it went so wrong. Like they started doing sketches that were directly shitting on ABC executives and were directly talking shit about their sponsors. Like it, Jesus, it's just, it's so cool though and it's so funny like the sketches that they show are hilarious that's where the ambiguously gay duo came from oh yeah. which yeah which ended up being on <laughs> snl a lot but the two voices uh, were never snl cast members it was steve carell and stephen colbert hmm. so if you're watching it you're like well why are carell and colbert on snl right now it's because it was just a, a reused bit from the dana carvey show so i would i would definitely recommend watching it if you're interested yeah. in, in television production and comedy that's the dana carvey show documentary on is that what it's called dana carvey no show? it's something else but just get on hulu and on find hulu? it Hulu. Yeah. nice all right Definitely. what else have you been watching well okay so yeah me and hunter this is both, something that we both watched we both saw the the pilot episode of a new fox comedy called ghosted yeah. It's starring Adam Scott and Craig Robinson. And Good cast. Sort of, sort of a Men in Black. Men in Black Ghostbusters yeah. type deal. It's that's probably Good their cast p- and good writing by our boy, 
Sean. Yeah, friend of the pod, Sean Davenport. Sean, Sean, Clem- oh, no. Sean Clemens. <laughs> Sean Clemens from Hollywood Handbook writes for it. So I went in, you know, thinking it'll probably be good, even though I hadn't heard much buzz about it. Well, I, I thought that just the... You know, the idea of having these two guys, like, they're both very talented and mm. they're both giving very them a talented. show. And actually, like, leading up to, or even like, I, Guy and I watched it a couple days after the pilot aired and it was getting pretty decent buzz. Yeah, like B plus. B, B like, right around yeah. like B, B plus. And to be honest, I did not enjoy it yeah, at all. I had the same thing. We watched it separately and we both came to the so same So you guys conclusion. only saw the first episode. Yeah. Yeah, but we, it was just so. Like it, it had it's all been so done. procedural. Yeah, it had all been done before. It was just a series of set pieces that I had seen before. It I mean, just, maybe maybe it suffers from just being a network pilot. I think. See, I think that's one of the things because watching it, there's some of the lines I can't just tell. I can't tell if it's very poorly written or if it's trying to be meta and it's just failing. Because I mean, it's yeah, network. There are definitely a couple lines that are trying to be bigger and just, they don't work. It, it doesn't just work. Comes into this like very very generic and procedural formula where you're like, okay, like why why do I care? Like after I watched the pilot, I was like. Okay, I don't ever really want to watch any other episodes yeah. of the show. I, it just, more than anything, it just seems like a rehash of a rehash. And it's, I don't know. It's, it's sad, with really good talent yeah. behind it, it. It had, yeah, it had lines that were okay that made me, like, not chuckle, but, like, chuckle in my head. <laughs> you know, just be, it's, in my head, I was like, yeah, that's pretty good. But overall, it just, it fell flat. I don't know. I, I can't, I couldn't really pinpoint it. And that's why, I like pinpoint what i really disliked so much about it and that's why i was trying to think maybe it was just some meta thing and it was trying to like comment no, on something it's but really i think not, it's though. just it really just, generic and it all seems like really rushed and disconnected mm. and i was disconnected as a person watching it exactly it's it's the the thing that stuck out the most to me like no matter there were good moments but it hit all been done before mm-hmm. and just like you just it's like we so said, procedural the pitch of it is essentially men in black meets ghostbusters with a little bit of x-files yeah and so it's like we've literally seen this before one is a brainiac and one is like a street smart guy like how many times have do we have to see the same shit so it I, it was disappointing because i love adam scott i love craig robinson and i love sean clemens it but, just seems like such a waste of their talents too because yeah. you could even tell like it <laughs> Especially Adam Scott is trying to play this like nerdy guy in it, mm. and he's just like, "Oh no, my numbers! Oh, don't don't touch my papers!" Yeah. And you're like, "Oh my god, it's what just, the fuck is this? It's what are you doing?" I mean, all persons involved, though, all three of these people we've mentioned are guess what, cashing checks. So big, it's probably checks. what yeah. it's all about. Network checks are a lot bigger than cable checks. If yeah. you don't know, like you get paid a lot more for writing and starring in anything that's on one of the four major networks. So. They're getting paid. Maybe it'll get renewed even, but like it's it's not. I mean, Craig, uh, I, this is Craig's like first big like it's starring role. It's definitely yeah, it's his first starring role. I mean, yeah. Adam Scott. He had uh, Parks and Rec. Well, he didn't start. He was an ensemble member of that. He more starred in. Um, He's definitely getting a bigger check for this well, than Parks and Rec. I don't know why I'm blanking on it, but the the stars show about the caterers that was incredible. Oh, uh, um, Party Down. Yeah, Party yeah. Down, which, by the way, is an amazing show. I, yeah. I rewatched a couple Michael episodes. Is that Michael Showalter? Uh, Let me, um, I, think, I think it might be. It's it's just an incredible show all around. That's, that's the show you want to watch. If you want to watch an Adam Scott show that you haven't seen. Or just watch The Good Place up into the Adam Scott cameo. 
Yeah. It's, or it's watch a great Parks and Rec fucking again. cameo. Yeah, just watch Who Parks and Rec. Who are you If you want to watch Craig Robinson something, watch The Office on a loop like I do every single night. Yeah, or watch Dude, This is the End or something. Paul Rudd has creator credit on Party Yeah. It, it, okay, hmm. this is actually okay. really interesting because that show, it was insanely good, but it was actually going into production like four years before that. And yeah, like you said, Paul Rudd was the co-creator. He was going to be the star of the show. He was going to be the Adam Scott character. What and about wait? It was Ken Marino yeah, involved well, from the no, star? No, because Ken Marino plays like the boss, who is essentially Michael Scott in Party Down. Like he, you know, he's the same archetype. That was going to be Steve Carell. Oh shit! Yeah, in the original Party Down, and it was going to be an HBO show, not a star show. Yeah. So there's a universe where that is one of the best shows, one of the best comedies. Well, of all I mean, time. Party and Down only ran for one season. So. Yeah, it got canceled because it was yeah. on Stars. No one yeah. saw it. Yeah. Um. So there's a universe where that's on HBO and is starring Paul Rudd and Steve Carell, and it's like one of the best shows ever. Hey, David Wayne directed an episode. Oh, nice. Yeah, I mean, uh, Ken Marino connection. It's yeah. yeah, that whole wet hot like family network yeah i mean it was a great show in itself but there could have been a lot more and it could have been like what could have been with that yeah. it's like the danny carvey show well, like, what could have happened go going back to um to ghosted do you guys think you're gonna stick with it to see how it goes no i don't really have any desire. i mean yeah, i guess there's too much other there's tv like, to watch yeah if there's like mass buzz if people are like holy shit you need to see the last episode of ghosted like it yeah. fucking changed television I guess maybe I'll go on a shot, but like some of those things, I just don't really feel like I need to because I feel like, like Drew said, it's stuff that we've already seen before. Yeah, it's it's like a solid six and a half. It's just really disappointing. I wouldn't even give it a six and a half. I'd give it like a <laughs> solid five. It's just very, very mediocre. Isn't it crazy though that we're at this point in TV that they can make a show like this that's so genre driven and probably has like a fairly sizable budget. Mm. There's, there's a lot of CG in the okay, show. But yeah, but it's just not good and it's probably not going to get great ratings. Well, getting getting to the point about the big budget, I thought, I mean, at least in the pilot, it might get better throughout the season, but I thought that the CG looked really bad oh, it was and trash. really cheap. <laughs> it was it bad. looked horrible. Like, that's what I was watching. I was like... Does this show have a big budget? Like, this looks really fucking uh, I mean, cheap. This a, looks like some shit that I could make on my computer. A lot of the time, though, pilots do have a lot lower of a budget than the yeah, rest of the show. Which but I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to speak for the whole show, just speaking for the pilot yeah, in general. That but, did not look Yeah, good. but pilots don't necessarily have worse writing. There's no reason yeah. for that. So, I mean, well, it got picked up because it's a very standard show and there were good names attached to it. Well, but it's the, not a good show. A, a network show like this should not be doing heavy cgi like leave that to <laughs> no. premium cable yeah. or like yeah it was do not you aren't hbo try. doing the yeah. new game of thrones no okay way. it was weak and it was hear a- that amazon yeah oh well was yeah. it was it a spooky show though did it have scares no so <laughs> literally there was nothing scary about the ghosted show. another okay another sign that the show isn't very good which is really sad but uh adam scott on twitter will often retweet people who tweet about ghosted and if you look at those people's bios and pages they're all like the worst oh god <laughs> like it's always like i oh mean my it's god. probably fox telling him that he like has to do yeah that. he's doing it's promo work like he game. has to but if I mean, that's a pretty good sign they're if, playing like, the game yeah, yeah. If, if all the people who tweet about it are like like horrible yeah you know what was spooky though halloween horror night these fucking transitions are on point this episode dude i got to go to halloween horror nights for the first time even though i've been living in orlando for like four years now i made it you had never been to halloween horror nights never never and I, i i was like dude it's the shining this year i i gotta go i gotta go i fucking love the shining 
and I've always heard great, great things about Halloween Horror Nights. Mm. I always just got discouraged every time I was at UCF and I tried to get tickets for the UCF Horror Nights um, mm. little special night that they did, and I saw that fucking line. Yeah, true. And I was like, well, I don't want to go that bad. I would dude. also be discouraged <laughs> every single year that The Walking Dead is always there, yeah. except for it finally ended this yeah. year. And mm. they brought in The Shining, and... I, I just want to talk a little bit about my experience mm. because it was great. Like, you know, I had a great time. I actually heard that The Shining's haunted house was really about the moon landing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'll say I'll say this: like we got there fairly early. Like Horror Night starts at six thirty, um, and we got there right around that time, and we went straight to the Saw House because that was the first one, and the wait time was like seventy five minutes, so we immediately got out of the line. And went to Shining, which was like under an hour, like 45-ish. And so we, you know, waited in line, got into The Shining. And I thought The Shining was like very well made. Like everything about it in terms of like building the set and like creating that uh, atmosphere mm. of tension and just suspense was really good. But it wasn't that scary. Yeah, I mean, that's been the general, yeah. like, thing that I've heard about it, is that it was atmosphere-wise, cool. it's one of the best atmospheres there, but it's not necessarily scary, which I don't expect it to be. The Shining isn't a scary movie. Yeah, and also, I had one kind of big complaint, is the guy that they had, I know they rotate the actors, depending on the days and the times, but the guy that we had playing Jack, he was not good. <laughs> <laughs> like, he would, looked really young, and the wig, the headpiece that he was wearing just stuck out like a sore thumb like it mm. did not blend in that's not good and he just didn't seem very in character but other than that it was it was cool like the overlook you know was great there was every big moment from the movie was in there the blood elevator the tricycle the woman in in the shower the moon landing um, <laughs> moon room yeah um, but then we, we managed to hit like pretty much every house that we wanted to. I mean, there were a couple that we didn't get to, but I was expecting only being able to go to like three or f maybe four houses. Yeah. We got to go to like five or six. That's, that's good. Cause I've been to Halloween Horror Nights and I had to wait in the longest fucking yeah. lines. Like I wanted to kill myself. Yeah. I mean, we had one line that was like over an hour wait. Mm. The, some standouts were the non-branded houses, mm. um, the ones that aren't attached to like a movie or TV property. There was one called Deadwaters that was like this New Orleans, Louisiana, like creepy swamp bayou. So, um, you know what I'm True Detective. Well, kind of True <laughs> Detective, but like, you know, with actual creatures. Mm. Like it, it, the creature design in that one was really good. And That's you, cool. you stepped into this house that was like sinking into the swamp. So it was like on an incline and you were like walking through this house and it was like, like teetering. It was pretty really cool. well hmm. done. And the final room in that house was just this big elaborate like set that with, with so much going on. I just wanted to stand in that room and just look around because <laughs> there was so much happening. Nice. Um, and then there was one house called Hive that was like a vampire house. And the masks that all the actors were wearing were really, really cool. And their eyes were like glowing. That that was probably the scariest one. Just that, because that was where friend of the podcast and our coworker oh, yeah, Heather. Oh yeah, Heather. Works. Yeah, she. I Shout tried out to, to Heather. I tried to. I tried to pick her out, but she. They were all wearing masks, <laughs> so I had no idea if she was there. True. Um. We also got to go in the Blumhouse house, 
which was Sinister, Insidious, and The Purge. Um, and that one actually surprised me because they divided they divided by film. So you're going through like the purge area, you're going through the sinister area, and then the final one is the insidious area. So I was expecting it to end a lot sooner because of that, because of that division. Mm-hmm. But then it kept going. And that's really cool. That's like, really cool. I was freaked out, dude, because I kept expecting to get to the end. And then they just got me like that's over smart. and over and over. Uh, one thing I did want to say, though, is there were a couple scare zones. Scare zones are like not houses, but you're just mm. areas where you're just walking around the park and there's actors like around that will try to scare you. Mm. And there was one that was an alien invasion. And it was the coolest shit I've ever seen in my life, guys. Like, there was, like, a fallen UFO, like, a crash UFO, and the alien costumes were amazing. Like, so rich, so detailed. Everything from, like, the mask that they were wearing to, like, the gloved uh, tentacle things. Mm-hmm. And it it just looks so, so cool. It I was so impressed by that one. That's cool. Um, and then there was another one that's, like, the Simpsons area, that just looks like a carnival fair. Mm. And so there's a bunch of clowns running around. <laughs> but there were these three clowns that, after the fact, I, I realized that they were definitely working in tandem. Like, they they must have worked out something to collaborate on a scare. Because they fucking got me, That's dude. wild. Like, they got me so good. <laughs> I was walking, and I saw one of them in the bushes. Just standing there in the bushes being creepy like just watching people walk by in front of him and then i saw another one hiding between the carnival games like kind of trying to like hide in in a corner also kind of doing the same thing saw both of them the third one was the one that got me because he just jumped out from a corner from like behind this structure mm. that was completely out of my sight. So, so they, I, I saw yeah. the first two and I was like, oh shit, oh so, shit. So they like, were all like scaring people and like one walks up to the other and he's like, hey bro, like I fuck with your shit. Yo, like <laughs> we should collaborate on a fright or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that third one just jumps out right in front of me as I walk past his little hiding spot and I, I was... You poo pooed. I was yeah. It you make a poopy. Yeah, I made I made a, a little a little pleep poop, <laughs> a little plop plop. Nice. Well, that's good. <laughs> it was, I'm, it I'm was glad, fun. I'm glad it was fun. I'm glad that they figured out how to deal with the lines. Yeah, I. Well, I, it, it, I think it was just a slow night. Well, I mean, good. Yeah. <laughs> what day of the week did you go? You Wednesday. Oh, uh, Wednesday. Yeah. I really would love to go. I don't know if I'm gonna have time to go this year, but I really like the houses that they're doing this year. Um, I want to do the saw house just because like, I, I didn't get to go. I think on that that'd one. be like a yeah, cool, like kind of to. like gory kind of mess. And also they have an torture ash, porn an ash versus the <laughs> evil dead house. Uh, that which, was one that I really wanted to go in because the, the wait times were li- really low. Yeah, I'm sure it's not like a yeah. super popular show. It's all we, we just didn't have time stars or showtime oh, or something real quick before we move on. Um, the diagon alley, Harry Potter area was open and we got to go on that ride. So fucking good. Our boy uh, Domino oh, really? stars in it. What? Really? <laughs> yeah, Domino. What? As, yeah, he's Ben Weasley. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. I know he's, he's like starred. a major part. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and it's it's a great ride. Like the whole waiting area where you're waiting for the ride is like so well done. With that's these, cool that like, they like leave that part open yeah, during Halloween Horror Nights. Dude, just walking around this whole area because you see like King's Cross, right? Uh-huh. And then you like walk in and you're in Diagon Alley and. Mm. Right as soon as you walk in and you see like all the shops and everything, especially at night, like 
I was puts blown, you in that. Yeah. I was blown away. Dude. Nice. I, I was so blown away. And there's actually like a little corner that's like the spooky like Slytherin area mm. or whatever. I, um, I forget what it's called. But so <laughs> here's a fun story about the, the Harry Potter world. For uh, our graduation for Grad Bash, we went to Universal, right? Do you remember this? I, I didn't go. Oh, my God. Do you know yeah. the story I'm going to yeah, tell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, We're fucking Pitbull. Is that where well, you're going with this? Okay, so Pitbull was there. We didn't see him. No, we but, avoided Pitbull at yes, all costs. But so anyway, we uh, two of our, David and then uh, a couple other people went on like one of the Harry Potter rides. And David oh, got sh- motion sickness on it and he threw up on the ride. <laughs> so On me. Yeah. It was a little uh, bit on me. Wait, was it like the the big no, the main was, Harry Potter yeah, ride? Yeah, it was the main Harry Potter ride, which to be honest, like always gets what, me a little bit. What's it called? Journey sickness. Journey to Hogwarts? Yes. Dude, it's actually, the one it's my, very, very sick. My dad like, got sick on that really? ride too. Yeah, it's because it's you're moving and also watching like screens yeah, in front yeah. of you. Well, move. Okay, so anyway though. So he pukes and he gets off the ride and he's like, oh, like he feels like shit. (laughs) And there's a cop there and the cop is like, hey, like just just so you know, like we we heard that you were like harassing other people on the ride and the employees earlier. So I guess you got what you had coming to you. No. And he didn't, though. He didn't say a word to anyone. (laughs) And they're like, yeah, you stupid kid. I'm glad you puked. Shout out to honestly. I've had. I've had bad, bad experiences on that ride. I'm never going on that ride again because David <laughs> threw up a little bit, got on me. <laughs> and then also before that, whenever the ride like first opened up, I remember in um in tenth grade, like mm. right around the time when Harry Potter. This is World the one in opened, Islands of Adventure, the original. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever that like first opened up, I went on a little bit of a field trip. Uh, we all went there it was like for my chemistry class but my teacher was just like yeah we're gonna call it a fucking field trip but just pay and we'll all go to like we'll all go universal together (laughs) so we we went on this trip and uh it was right whenever the ride first opened and i waited in that line it was supposed to be like an hour and a half wait and we waited in that line for almost three hours. No, I, I know that feel, dude. I was in that same and boat. Because yeah. the line, bra- like the ride broke down. So we were stuck in the garden oh, you park. weren't moving. No, 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 no. We were like stuck like in the little walkthrough area and we were in the gardens and it was hot as fuck. fuck. And we were just sweltering out there in like <laughs> nice. 85, 90 degree weather. Good old Orlando, Florida. Yeah, oh my God, one time I, One time I got stuck on Everest at Animal Kingdom for like, uh, for, it was just a half hour but we were like near the top of the peak oh on the ride yeah we oh, were on the ride, ride and we were near the top and it just like shut down and we thought we were all gonna like die or something <laughs> speaking of uh speaking of like uh fun experiences guy and i just this past weekend went to kind of the counter opposite of halloween horror nights we went to mickey's not so scary halloween yay is it not so spooky or not no, so scary not so scary we've just been saying not so spooky oh, okay but yeah it's not so scary um it was really, really fun. Uh, like, they don't, like, there's a bunch of, like, little, like, cool things. Like, they have all these, like, cool little decorations, Halloween stuff. They have, like, a nice little, like, Halloween parade. It's but not this so scary is, it's, like, everything. the same format where they just oh, do this at night. Yeah, they just do it at night. Uh, yeah. They kick everybody out of the park by, like, 7 o'clock. We can enter in at 4, and it's open until midnight. I will say it's probably the best fireworks show I've ever seen in my life. Like the fireworks literally like illuminated the entire sky mm. around us. It was yeah. incredible. Disney has some fireworks. Dude. It was wild <laughs> they put, seeing that. They put some money into dude, that. Shit's yeah. fire. Yeah, they have some fireworks. Fire, <laughs> no, but one of the best things about it was because they kicked the majority of the people out there's no wait to do any ride. And this all takes place at Magic Kingdom where it's yeah. usually the busiest park. The longest that we wait on a ride 
was about 30 minutes or so. And that was for the Seven Dwarfs ride, which is new. And any other time I've ever been to Disney recently, it's been like a two hour long wait. For Damn. Seven Dwarfs? Yeah. Ooh, it's like a little like wooden coaster thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a cool ride. But yeah, uh, it was like pretty much no wait time. We got to ride Thunder Mountain two times in a row. Because oh, there was literally no, there was literally nobody there. We like went through after doing one time and there was like nobody in line. They're like, you guys want to do it again? And we're like, fuck yeah, let's do it again. So then mm, they just did it all nice. again. Um, this episode, by the way, is brought to you by the Orlando Tourism Board. <laughs> <laughs> Orlando, please give it's us still free here. tickets it's, to shit. Orlando, it's not the nineties, and it's still here. Despite if you just saw the Florida Project, <laughs> which uh, is a good transition. Yeah. Well, wait, okay. One thing, things. one thing that I wanted to mention before we move on. <laughs> what do you guys think would happen if they did Halloween Horror Nights in the daytime? It would ruin it, but it would be the funniest thing ever. Yeah, that would just not work, <laughs> especially the scare zones. <laughs> Dude, it would be, be so, so lame and be like, funny. yo, I fucking see you, bro. Like, what yeah. are you doing back like, there? Like, like a haunted house in, like, northern Alaska where it doesn't get dark. <laughs> yeah. That'd be really funny. <laughs> okay, so I what do you want to talk great. about next? All right, um, let's talk about the next episode of Nathan for You, or this, the new episode. We the say this, Okay, yeah, we say this a lot, but this was a transcendent episode of TV. <laughs> I, I, think, guys, I think we've said that every single episode of this podcast. If you're not watching season four of Nathan for you, you're missing out on a man on a quest <laughs> to invent a new genre of art. And this it's is true. this is something unlike anything he's ever fucking done yeah. before. Like, whole, I thought that the last couple episodes, I was like, oh man, that's pretty meta. This is on a whole other fucking yeah. level. So like, let's just let's just say, like, Nathan sometimes will go off formula and not do not help out of yeah. a small business. And those episodes tend to be the best yeah, episodes. Like the the season two finale, The Claw, where yeah. he has a machine that's going to um unzip and deep pants him <laughs> in front of children. <laughs> yeah. Children. And um, then there's the hero episode where he assumes a man's identity to make yeah. him into a hero by tight roping. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's the hunk where he makes a fake reality show to get over his fear of women. This episode revolves around an appearance that he had a real appearance that he had on a couple uh, Jim, months ago yeah on jimmy kimmel's no, about, show uh, it was like leading up to the premiere yeah, it was, it was right like before. a month or yeah. two ago yeah because nathan does get late night spots to plug his show um and so he went on kimmel and he told this very long like nine minute story that was uncharacteristic for him because it was just like a genuine story and it much w- like a lot of celebrities yeah exactly do. it was like the the type of story anyone could tell on that show and so then, like, I saw that a while ago, and I didn't even think much of it because it was so generic. And then this episode reveals that that entire anecdote was formulated by him, written, and then in order to make it true, he went out into real life and forced these things to happen Because in real he life. didn't want to be like Brian Williams and tell a lie on a late night show. Yeah. So he had to actually make sure that this story was actually real and yeah. make, like, actually, like, carefully calculate all these events to actually occur and in his life it is gen it's unfucking believable especially because i i mean in high school i spent like a lot of i was a loser and i spent a lot of time watching like late night comedy shows <laughs> and the stories they tell like with the host are so incredibly monotonous and similar they all revolve around like like oh i was going to this wedding yeah like well this. yeah like big events police incidents and like fake drug like incidents stuff like that where it's just like oh snap well it, it's the idea of like having an arc to your story you know you wanted to have some sort of relatable premise because you're connecting with a broad audience and then you want some sort of twist twist and big payoff so in order to make all the stuff happens nathan does some of 
the hardest to watch cringiest stuff I've ever seen him do. Even Nathan, it was it was hard to watch. It's incredibly manipulative. <laughs> like his he, his ability to manipulate yeah. people has gotten to a yeah. whole other so level. He, there's a moment where he sits down with this couple that's getting married. <laughs> he's able though okay, first of all, the way he's able to get in touch with these people is like borderline like It's it's probably a crime. The yeah. way that he does it. He like talks to these people who are like hosting, they own like or they're like uh, the the owners of this company that like rents out their this place to for weddings and everything, and he like secretly goes on their laptop and like takes a picture. Yeah. Well, of this these, first of all, I, I feel like this lady's a fucking idiot leaving this man with a camera crew alone with her laptop. Yeah, <laughs> like, that, that was that, yeah that part may have not even like happened really, but th- what he does to this couple is pressures yeah. them into getting invited to their wedding without knowing them at all. He sits down with them. And at first, he asked to go to their wedding to to just go and check it yeah, out because and, he's and like, attend. Yeah, because he's like, yeah, my wife has Climes disease, and so she's in bed all day, so I have to do all the planning. Yeah, and total like, bullshit. Yeah, it's, it's not and true, of course, obviously. naturally, the couple's like, no, what? Yeah. You're crazy. Yeah, we, like, don't we don't know you. Know. And he just weasels his way. He just pressures them with the art of silence, which yeah. he uses all the time, mm-hmm. just, just incrementally, yeah. beat by beat. They're like, yeah, so yeah, maybe you could come like beforehand and see the setup and he's like yeah you know before and then like you know during during. and after and they're just they don't they they go from saying no to just like looking at each other confused yeah like uh, and they don't yeah (laughs) and eventually they just say yes yeah so that he gets the yes exactly he he gets invited to this wedding because that's a part of his story another thing he has to do for the story is there has to be a mix-up with another man's suit so he hires this guy and the the mix-up also involves in the pocket of this suit jacket has to be this man's mother's ashes. Yeah, like a be- white powdery yeah, substance. Because it's going to be confused for drugs in the story. So he... But okay, <laughs> the, the man the man who takes over doesn't like understand that he needs his mother's ashes. So then they go to this man's mom. And yeah, they're like, that's the other hey, big convince. Hey, uh, we need like, you know, some like of your hair and some of your nail clippings yeah. and stuff. And she's just like... Oh, okay. Yeah, right. he yeah, convinced just a little bit. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the bigger for my son. Yeah, the bigger sells. He has to convince this guy to like call his mom and be like, "Hey, just tell your mom we need her hair. We need her toenails." <laughs> they like snake her drain out for like shower hair. That sequence was scrub her feet. Yeah, they scrub her feet with a, like a pumice <laughs> stone for shavings, skin. and they bring it to a cremation place. And then they, I mean, they really genuinely make this yeah. entire story happen. And it's, it's just, and then I, they, they like, beautiful. they have this old man with this oversized suit and they, they hire a police officer to pull him over yeah. and they give the police officer a script to read off of. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. I, yeah. I don't like going over entire plots, but when Nathan, but, for you, I wow. feel the need to tell people yeah. what well, happens. Let's, let's mention some great moments though. I loved the shot of him. The, there's a couple of shots of Nathan wearing the oversized suit that are just pure gold. Like, oh, they are yeah. art. Like, there's a Twitter called uh, One Perfect Shot, and they need to add that to their repertoire. Mm-hmm. And there's also a Twitter worth plugging called No Context Nathan. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah that was what I was going to say. That's a great Twitter. That's- <laughs> Nathan's astonished face is incredible. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's so, like... It's it's just it's an incredible episode. It's another level of meta and like it takes on a new because I mean the normal show is a reality show genre parody and this episode is still that and it's also like kind of picking apart the different aspects of late night yeah. comedy. And there's there's one key moment that he could have 
not possibly planned, which is when Kristen Dunst goes and on tells basically the same story as he was going like to tell, beat by beat. like a very similar the story. wedding, the cop. I mean, he the the drugs. Yeah, like when everything. he's doing research on what kind of story to tell, he there's a small montage of like different late night shows when celebrities are telling stories involving the police, and yeah. it's incredible. They all. Tell the everyone same. from Jennifer Lawrence yeah. to Zac Efron, and there's like. there's a little voiceover when he's get, telling his story that is so true. Where he's like, I realized that it didn't matter if they'd heard it before; they wanted to hear the same story again and again and again, and they still clapped. And it's true, yeah. Yeah. People, I mean, I also loved another little moment in the episodes that I loved is uh, the like overlying theme throughout the show that Nathan is just like a very lonely guy and he's just looking for happiness. Like there's the shots of him when he's at the wedding and he's like hiding behind a tree in this yeah. oversized suit. Yeah. And then they talk about, he's just, he's just like, I could have just left after the ceremony, <laughs> but I stuck around for and, like, hours. I yeah. stuck around for hours and you see these shots of him like dancing with it's, random it's people amazing. and yeah. him like making friends. And it's, it's really heartwarming. Like actually well, it's, it's his character. character. Like yeah. he is essentially yeah. playing a character at this point. It's, and and he's doing yeah. very, very like calculated work. Like even with his facial expressions when he's this, talking to that cop. Like, yeah. Although this, I will say that is the biggest dick move ever is to weasel your way into an invitation and then you fucking show up in like an oversized suit, like yeah. and with a stand, camera, crew. and you stand yeah. behind a tree. <laughs> it's it's just it's unreal. And I don't know. At the beginning, before this season, I was almost worried just because I was like. Where can he even go from here? Like, this show has delivered so much that I couldn't even ex- expect any more. Dude. And he's managed to step his game up even more. This and this season. is just like a middle of the season episode. Like, what the fuck is this Bill Gates impersonator finding yeah, his finale. lost love? It's, it's going to be incredible. Gonna be like, I'm I, so excited. Oh my God, dude. We're in for some crazy shit. Yeah. So, Nathan for you, Comedy Central, season four. It's amazing, guys. Just, it's. Nathan for you is doing the Lord's work. He is is doing shit that nobody mm-hmm. nobody else can do this. Yeah. Like he, and, and if it's you, one of a kind. If you can't watch the show because you have too much of a soul, then that's fine. But it's it's not for it you, tests, but it's for me. It, it's very, very cringy. Like I can yeah. understand why it is not a show for everybody, but mm-hmm. I think that if you if you appreciate a show like The Office or something like that, then you will fucking yeah, but love it's, Imagine the, the Office in fucking real life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's in it's Imagine the dinner part, the dinner party episode, of The Office, except amped up by ten thousand in yeah. every episode in real life. Yeah, so yeah, that's Nathan for you. We've talked uh, so much about it, and we're gonna keep talking about it until you fucking watch it, yeah. America. Yeah. Um, so Colin, fucking watch this show. Okay? He know he I has. Swear to God. What do you even? T- <laughs> I sh- Snyder. I, I showed him a bunch of Nathan for you. He's he's into it. Um, Stop watching Jeopardy. <laughs> Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, quick shout out to Austin Rogers. The oh recent, my God. I don't. Yeah, I'm going to do a little talk in Jeopardy. If you're doing talk and switch. Talk in Jeopardy. Austin Rogers won like a shitload of episodes of Jeopardy in a row, which if you watch Jeopardy, you know, it's, it's always a big deal when there's a guy who keeps coming back. And he was special because he actually has an amazing personality, which usually on Jeopardy, you get a bunch of boring people because they know, all, you know, their life is about knowing everything. This guy is fucking hilarious alex did not like it because he's like a little snarky mm-hmm. and yeah he brought the entertainment for days and days and he did like crazy gambles with his daily doubles and his final jeopardy bets and they always paid off he ended up winning over five hundred thousand dollars. wow so quick shout out to austin i know you're listening for a fact and then of course he had the incredible one dollar win of jeopardy 
this oh, past week. Yeah, there was recently which, a, an anomaly in Jeopardy, another one where... Which, I mean, this was also... I mean, I just think... It, if you guys are really interested in it, if you're fans of Jeopardy, I really check out recommend checking out um, on TheRinger.com, written by Claire McNear. It's called An Anatomy of the Worst Game in Jeopardy History. Mm-hmm. It is an incredible breakdown of this entire game. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm here for any column about jeopardy i'll read it like, but like it this is it's so so well written about mm-hmm. this it even describes like in detail alex trebek's like reactions like just his subtle facial movements oh. to just like little answers yeah, that alex, characters are making alex is an interesting guy because he's very snooty and he tries to hide it but when mm-hmm. people are doing poorly he's mean oh yeah he's an um, asshole so uh, yeah i love jeopardy jeopardy is the best game show of all time don't don't add me family feud do at me Family. No, it's better than Family Feud. Okay, okay, but but baggage, baggage. baggage? Oh shit! Talking baggage here. Damn, talking baggage. Yeah, that's a fun show if you don't know, because you don't know because <laughs> because it's on the Game Show Network and it's hosted by Jerry Springer, and it's the trashiest game show ever. We don't even need to talk about it that much. Let's just move on to like Halt and Catch Fire. Well, should we talk Halt first and then Florida Project? Okay, sure. yeah, yeah. Let's sure. talk Halt or 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 the other okay, way around. Well, Drew hasn't watched the Florida Project, so we can't really get into spoilers for that. So let's talk about uh, the Florida Project first. Okay, um, so we don't want to spoil this movie for you, Drew, um, because it's there's a really, really great a lot to film. spoil about yeah, it because thing. it's very slice of life. Well, yeah. Um, so how, yeah, there's not really a big mystery here. It's a film about you know kids living yeah. in this motel across the street from Disney yeah, World. Yeah, you can spoil it. seems like the type of movie where it's more about the journey, not the yeah, destination. Yeah, but um, I don't want to, you know, get too deep into plot details. Right. I just want to say, like, because I just had the chance to see this movie Yeah, this uh, is the week. new film from director Sean Baker, who has been making films for a long time, but he really only entered the scene recently with 2015's um, Tangerine. Which was shot on an iPhone 5S, and it tells the story of a couple um, transsexual women in uh, LA mm-hmm. on Christmas Eve, and just their their life. Like it, it the the thing with the Florida Project and um, tra- uh, trans, or uh, what's it called, Transgerine. Transgerine. The thing with these films that. Um, if you listen to this podcast called Film Spotting, they really get into the meat of it on their review. And they actually have an interview with Sean Baker as well. They talk about how these two films are able to tackle subject matter that if it were handled by any other filmmaker, it would be the most dramatic, like Oscar baby shit you could possibly yeah. imagine. Like it would be so over the top and so you know pointing to this being like hey this is an issue homelessness is an issue yeah. transgender people like are an issue yeah exactly right mm-hmm. yeah which won the best picture oscar yeah while not being very good yeah so so under the the supervision of any other person these movies would be completely different entities but sean baker manages to capture the humanity and just this the the fact that just because these sorts of people, whether they're, you know, just poor um, yeah. young moms. Marginalized people. Exactly. Yeah. People living on the on the outskirts of society, they're still people. And they're not something to be, like, 
dramatized. Yeah, they're or, not they're not a hot button thing. Exactly. They're and just that's people the living thing, their lives. That's the thing which, that makes the Florida Project so good is it's so, so authentic. After watching this movie, I went home and did research on it because I couldn't believe how how real this movie was. I was like, Sean Baker had to be from Florida or be a guy who lived in a or at least spent or time here and talked to the people. At, yeah, he spent a lot of time uh, here. And uh, his partner, Chris, who wrote uh, the film with him, is a guy who lived in kind of around the poverty line. This guy did not was not involved in Tangerine? Um, I believe that he actually was. Uh, okay. Chris Burgot. Also, me, uh, did he also have co-writing yes, he credit? Yes, he's, he's also, he has co-writing credit on uh, Tangerine as well. So he's worked with Sean Baker before. Um, but... This is a movie, there are just so many really touching scenes that, like you said, it's not Oscar Bay at all. There's never a big monologue or anything like that. There's one particular scene about halfway through the movie, which um, it's this scene where there's a, a, a character, um, this is very, very minor spoiler, I don't even think this is spoilers, but there's just this point where you see this uh, this character and who's friends with the main girl Mooney, and he uh, he has to like move away, and you see him like they're trying to pack up all these boxes, and his father says to the little boy and says, "Look, we don't have this bo- we don't have space for this box in your car. We have to just kind of give your give your toys away because it's just a box of his toys, and you have to see this character, this little kid, give away all of his toys, and it's such a touching scene. It's a scene that hit me on an emotional level because. I'm not going to I was never in the same position as these people but I have lived in situations before where I've been in bad family situations I've had to get out and I've had to lose toys and things that had sentimental value for me and there were just so many scenes like that in this movie that really really impacted me. I think this is a movie that can affect you whether you've lived on the poverty line, whether you've lived in Florida, whether like it, it affects just real human beings. Mm. And, and it puts I, you in the perspective of these children, because in this scene that you're talking about, it's shot on. It's not the camera's not above the children. It's like kind of right behind them. And the angle you're looking at this, this scenario of these kids, like reaching into the boxes for the, for the, toys you're it's like from you the kid's angle you can't, you're like a kid that can't reach the toys like you huh. can't see and that's, that's there's just thing, a bunch of heads in that's front that's something of you. that Ernest and I were talking about before that this movie what's so good about it is it's almost like it's shot from the perspective of the kids it not only just in like the actually the shots themselves and the way they're composed but, but the, the scenes yeah, themselves the structure, there's never any scenes that last longer than writing. 90 seconds or so mm. everything it's almost like you're watching it from the memory of a child yeah. you'll go from wow. watching something that's fucking hilarious and believe me there are some moments in this movie that are like laugh out the first loud scene hilarious they the, are the opening scene is yeah amazing. yeah they're great yeah. and then they're in like you'll go from that straight to like really dramatic serious tearjerk scene back to something hilarious like it's something like that it's really like watching it through the eyes of a child and it's so unique mm. and i i think that this might if this isn't my favorite movie of the year it's definitely gonna be my top three wow. like this is i think it's right there yeah i, I really want to back this. and forth between this and blade runner as my favorite movie like, of the year i just i love this movie i cannot recommend I'm, it enough i'm to gonna people. see i have a thing for slice of life movies um just because i mean like you said it's it's they don't they seem just seem to not have an agenda 
They just seem yes. to want to tell you a story. Exactly. And that's uh, about so the good. people. That's yeah. what's so good about it is um like Ernest was talking about the film spotting episode that they had uh that they have an interview with Sean Baker and he even talks about how the character who plays Willem Dafoe's character who is a uh he's the owner of this motel mm-hmm. and he wasn't originally supposed to be a major character in the story, but through talking to people working in all these motels and stuff, they realized they met this one guy who they basically based Willem Dafoe's character off of mm. that had to act as like almost like a father-like figure for all of these kids staying in this motel. And that was like really kind of what inspired this whole story. I don't know if Willem, I hope Willem Dafoe at least gets a nomination for it. I don't know yeah, if he'll necessarily win. Well, the, the basic setup for the, the situation of, of the film, like the, the premise, I guess, is that the people living in this motel, they're, they don't, they would be homeless otherwise if it mm. wasn't for this motel that they can pay, you know, 30, 40 Weekly, bucks a night. Weeklies. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, they're not there because they are on vacation or they want to be there. Like they're there because that's all they have. Mm. If, if it wasn't for, Willem Dafoe's character like allowing them to stay there night after night they would just be on the street yeah. and and Dafoe's performance is something to be marveled at because he is able to play this man that is not like he's not the owner of this hotel mm-hmm. he's, he's just, just the manager he's just the manager like he answers to people he he he's not calling all the shots but he has like this connection to these people that he feels like some sort of responsibility for their well-being. And there's very, and it's really amazing how they do this because there is no exposition dumps about why you should care for this character, anything like that. You just get these little tiny moments that you see. There's one particular scene. There's one particular scene. There's a scene with the son. There's one particular scene with him and the children that are living in this motel that really, really make you sympathize and make you understand that this is a really, like, this is a good guy. Like, these are real people that are living in this like hidden homeless population right next to, like, right next door to the happiest place on earth. In like one of the most expensive vacation destinations mm. ever. I mean, there's there's one shot where like uh, the main character Mooney, um, the little girl and her mom, um, I think her name is Jancy. Yeah, Jancy. Um, they see a helicopter come <laughs> down into a helipad literally across the lake from where mm. they're sitting at and they're just flicking off the helicopter yeah, just like just because you, it's like, like yeah like <laughs> these people are just like coming in here real quick and like mm. they are barely being able to feed Damn. themselves which speaking of mooney brooklyn prince is incredible yeah, they found this girl on instagram yeah an instagram yeah. child how old is she like an instagram eight? child <laughs> instagram child she's probably yeah. like seven eight yeah i i'm not sure exactly how old that she is but this is her like her definitely her first film that she's ever done and like it's incredible how well of an acting job it is. It really reminds me of uh, the child in Room for like some of the best Jacob child. Jacob Tremblay. Yeah, uh, Jacob Tremblay for yeah. some of the best child performances that I've seen in movies well, in recent years. Much like Jacob Tremblay, like this is the case of a child actor actually giving a performance because a lot of times with child actors, like they they typecast. Yeah, they're yeah. just they're just able to play themselves. Mm-hmm. But you can tell that this girl is. 
tapping into a character. Mm-hmm. And it's so um, impressive. Speaking of typecast, any movie that asks for a subtle performance out of Willem Dafoe, I, I'll watch. Yeah. You know, because yeah. he, he can very easily be typecast as fucking insane. As like so the good evil villain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Every time he's on screen, he owns it like he doesn't he doesn't it's not like his boondocks uh boondock saints performance where he is ridiculously over the top yeah and that's, is doing lo- like, that's how a lot of his performances are. yeah but in this movie he's so grounded and so just just completely melted into the fabric of the film like he doesn't stand out yeah i mean that's that's a great actor so impressive that's what's so great about this is um of course like he has top billing because he's the only person of note who did who did this movie but he totally blends into this film and he's not a character who there's like oh well we got to make a little indie film and let's just throw like a a like just some a-list celebrity oh willem dafoe's available let's just throw him in there like he blends in perfectly he's a great actor this movie is so so well shot like there is one particular shot where Willem Dafoe's character is sitting outside on the balcony and he lights up a cigarette and just in this shot it gave me goosebumps all over he lights up the cigarette and you see all the lights of the motel slowly flicker on in this like purple background it adds this sort of like mystical layer to the motel (laughs) it's so good like I just I can't overstay enough it was funny like today um, I was going to visit my uh, my stepmom and my sister who were in town and they were staying at this little timeshare and we drove past the the wizard gift shop which is featured in multiple times yeah. because it's these kids who just all live in like this few block radius but it's on incredible my drive on on uh, I, 192 and it's so cool how they show it from the mind of a child that their entire world is just a few blocks long, but there's just this vast, vast world inside of these blocks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, like they, it's they really from the mind from of a child. One motel to another one, that's and it like seems like you're going on adventure, right but door. you know that you're this all is taking place in the span of like a mile, two miles max. It really, really captures that essence of a child. Yeah. So is it in your top three of the year, um, Ernie? I. No, well, my top three right now is uh, Apes, Blade Runner, and uh, Dunkirk. Mm. So I, it's probably four or five. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm definitely gonna see it. You guys convince me. Yeah, it. I. I love this film. It's in. I've, it's in. It's in theaters. I think until well, of course, super limited release. But it's in the NZN yeah. for those who live in Orlando I mean, until I, Wednesday. I wish it was playing more because it was shot here. Yeah, it's only playing on one screen in the city that it was it's shot sad. in, which is kind of sad. But yeah, it's know. a great film. It's a twenty-four. Mm. It's. Something again. something unique, something that's not trying to be this big, dramatic, over-the-top sort of deal. I really just can't wait to see what Sean Baker does next because he's been so good through his first two movies of really, like, he's willing to put the time and effort that it takes into a movie to understand the characters and to make it something special and authentic. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Very, and, very and, authentic. And telling stories that wouldn't be told by any film. Like, this is such an original film and it's about something so real and it's told in such an honest, authentic way that you really get the feeling that nobody else would make this movie. Nice. Mm-hmm. This is the only t- guy that would make the, mm-hmm. this sort of film just the way it is. And, and it's a truly original work and I really loved it. I think it's 
definitely one of the best films of the year. All right. So that's the Florida project. All right. Now let's get into the heavy stuff. Yeah. So before we talk about Halt and Catch Fire, I want to tell our audience that if you scroll down on your podcast app, you can see all of the notes that we're going off of recording this complete with time codes that you can tap on everybody's already stopped listening at this point we probably should put this part at the beginning yeah we'll do it no, next week I'm too just, I, <laughs> I, I feel like people i thought that people already knew this but i've gotten a couple um a couple comments from some people that they have no idea that this that this is a thing we take the time to make this listening experience as uh, breezy as possible. We're not for trying you, to so. spoil anything for you. Like the yeah. reason why we're talking about things is we try and separate it so that we try and discuss our overall thoughts of something and then have an exact spoiler section. We need to make a spoiler bumper. Yeah, I feel like that's would just help everything yeah, along. For sure. But, so yeah, yeah, just scroll down and you can see those exact time codes, so you can choose exactly what you want to listen to, what you want to skip over, what you want to come back to. So that brings us to. The final episodes. <sighs> it's over. Of oh, Halt man. and Catch Fire. That's it. Yep. The series finale mm-hmm. of this great, great show. So if you listen every week and you skip over that section because you're like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. Skip or, it. Or if too. you're listening now that you've caught up and you're going back and now listening to this episode, this show captured our hearts. <laughs> it, it, it took us on this journey where we didn't really know where it was going to go because it kind of changed things up every season. And I'm, I mean, I'm a hundred percent sure that they didn't know where it was going to go either. No way. But they ended up finding, they ended up finding a solid spot for it. Um, so we, I guess we're going over the last two episodes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when we left off spoiler alert for halt and catch fire, don't listen to this. If you haven't finished, uh, yeah. Halt and catch fire season four. So spoiler, Okay, when we left off last week in the third to last episode, Scoot McNary Gordon died, uh, which was a big fucking deal. But it was a beautiful episode, beautiful send off and beautiful Mm -hmm. follow up of the characters just dealing with his absence. Mm -hmm. I mean, we really felt the weight of this loss. So with the last two episodes, they're looking forward. They're looking ahead. And we were wrong. Like we were predicting a time jump, a, a big uh, flash forward, or, or you yeah, know, but another. Yeah, we, we never got that. But this episode does give you that in a way that was very unexpected. I mean, we get a scene with Donna and Cameron just talking and just discussing with each other what the future mm. is going to look like. And it's just their own prediction of yeah. what their lives are going to play well, out. Yeah, as, the, this... that was I think the best scene in the finale was they. Yeah, they're in they like, get, they're in their old age because they they've mm-hmm. they've essentially made up. They they've the loss of Gordon has allowed them to put behind their differences and go back to the way things were back yeah. in the mutiny days. Yeah, so and they be go together again. They go back to their old HQ and they're just talking about like, oh, what what's going to happen in the future? We'll have a new company. And then, like, they go through the future of this new company. And it, and always, it all starts at this point where they're like, well, what will we call it? We'll call it Phoenix. And you yeah. see this neon light flicker on behind Yeah, that's the cool, Phoenix. yeah. The, that was a cool little then, touch. There's a graphic for the company that pops up above them. And then they're talking about how the company goes. And then suddenly they, you know, they realize that in reality, 
reality, it probably wouldn't work out because they've done it before. Yeah, so they're like, they go through. They basically describe exactly what happened in season yeah, two so, of the show. Yeah, so they're like, oh yeah, and then we started fighting because we had to make the hard decisions. And then it goes downhill, blah blah blah. And then eventually, when they're done with that, the neon light goes out as if to say, like, they're not actually going to it, do this. It, I, f- I felt a little meta level to this. Like mm-hmm. they were basically discussing what season five would look like, but yeah. they were like, you know, it would look the same as yeah. season two. But so. then, I mean, but then at the end, they essentially were led to believe decide to work together anyway because that they I mean, have this idea yeah we're left off with them just we don't know what the idea a is. new idea yeah. so that's i mean yeah it was it seemed like set up for a new season but it obviously yeah. wasn't. i mean i mean yeah, they, they had just had dinner at a uh, or lunch whatever at a diner so one is left to assume that they're gonna invent waffle house <laughs> perhaps yelp yeah either waffle house sort. or yelp <laughs> or that's some mix next. of the two or something that's not quite either of those things and will eventually get overthrown by something <laughs> right yeah right than. and then the most surprising turn is joe mcmillan professor yeah I, no. This is a fitting end for Joe. <laughs> it, it actually, it really is. And I think I loved, loved the final line of the entire show, which was Joe McMillan's first line in the show, which is, let me start with a question. And then it just cuts to black. Yeah. It, it was, was cool. it was a great send off. The cycle continues. Um, yeah, yeah that, exactly. I think I think that was an overall theme of this, this entire show. And especially the finale is this whole theme of, the past repeating itself of these characters. They always find themselves in the same position where they try and be on the cutting edge of this new thing. And they're always outdone by something with a bigger budget or somebody with an idea that pushes the edge just a little bit further than there does. Mm -hmm. Just the fact that like, you know, we, they've, they've managed to write and perform these characters so well that we understand that, they there is a bigger picture to their lives uh, beyond the confines of the frame. Yeah, of beyond what them we're having seeing. success. Yes. With, so there is more happening. I think that beyond, this, this also it leads to another thing because these characters you can look at them from an outside and say these characters are successful. People are going out and they're seeking Cameron Howe to join their projects and to work with them on different things, but they're never satisfied with themselves. And that's the whole thing with these characters that we've learned about through the show is no matter what they're doing, Joe and Gordon basically made the power company. They made the internet company, but they were never satisfied with themselves. They're always trying to do something bigger and bigger, and they're constantly putting themselves in their own way. Mm. Do you think that's why Joe decided to become a professor is because he felt like he wanted to carry on that spirit to well, younger generations? The yeah, to 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 his, teach the next scoot. Joe's arc in the show is essentially a loss of ego. He starts with the biggest ego the, oh, of all yeah. time and he ends well being, it escalates. He's and he, well yeah he's he, after that though he's just constantly humbled over and right. over again. Yeah. And I mean the ultimate sign of humbling is becoming a teacher of what you couldn't do. Um with all that said I was kind of disappointed by the finale. Like I couldn't shake the feeling. I was just like okay well that's it. Didn't really feel very strongly either way. Like it just ended. Right. It was just kind of an end. Like, were you expecting something a, a little bit more like emotionally impactful? Yeah, and a little bit more impactful. Yeah, impactful in some way. It just it ended with like it ended less impactfully than some of the seasons of the show did. Right. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know. It was just kind of like a fizzle as, I, instead of a bang. See, I won't say I can't say I was disappointed just because I think the show ended the way that I wanted it to. I wouldn't have been I wouldn't have liked it if everything wrapped up nice and neat just because that's not the way that this show has ever been and I hate whenever shows do that. They're like, "Oh, we're canceled. Time to just wrap up, tie up all the loose ends in one final episode." And I liked the way this show has throughout the last few seasons it doesn't wait until the very end, the last episode of the season, to throw like a cliffhanger at you. The big event happens in episode eight or episode nine, and then the last one or two episodes is about resolution. Right. It's about these characters. How did they recover from that? Of course, in this season, Gordon died, and it's about these characters. All right, how do they handle that next? Of course, Cam and Joe break up, which there were fundamental issues to their relationship, which we all knew that that was coming, but it was like... Gordon dying just kind of brought everything to light and made them all consider their own mortality. And that was something that really happened throughout this entire last Especially with Boz. Yeah, with Boz especially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what I was just going to say is all these characters are evaluating their own life and their own mortality and thinking about what they want to do with their few years that they have left. Can we talk about the shot of Boz walking out of the doctor's office in slow motion? Oh, man, that was great. And then that's not... Well, I'll be damned. Yeah, twenty first <laughs> century. That was son of a bitch. Son of a bitch. <laughs> that was really, really great. Uh, how they handled that, I enjoyed. I enjoyed the beginning of, of the episode more than the end, because that was that was really fun. How he just, you know, he's like, "Well, hot diggity dog," and then yeah. like he goes home and he just casually tells Diane. Like oh yeah by the way I'm fine and she yeah. and then he just continues and talking yeah, and he turns a, ar- he turns around great, and she's like crying yeah great bit of that acting was, that by was her. such a yeah, good scene. it was just yeah. it was a great dynamic because the whole time I was like boss you you're okay yeah and he did, it just never really hit him and yeah. then it hits Diane and you're like oh, there it is yeah. it was very it was that was a great scene so so there's a big moment when um when when Cam and Joe break up he finally tells her you know computers are the thing to get you to the thing. Mm. But she is the thing for him. You know, he was never, it was never about computers for Joe. He was just a salesman. Like Mm -hmm. he just wanted that this fulfillment that went from being a professional uh, entrepreneurial fulfillment to just being a personal fulfillment. And for him, it was Cameron, but he didn't get Cameron. Mm. So do you guys think he got to the thing? I think that Cameron was he was the Cameron is the computer. It's the thing that's going to get him to the thing. Yeah, she was the thing. Yeah, I think that's what he meant. Okay. That's how I, I think that's what, that was how I took it as well. Like, yeah, she, I see. Yeah, yeah. She is the thing that got him to realizing what he really wanted. Cameron is really the thing, like especially in the earlier seasons, that really cut Joe's ego down. Like oh, that yeah. was one of the like she was the big reason because it definitely wasn't Gordon. Like that was cutting down Gordon. In the first season is like totally submitting to Joe for the most part. Yeah. Like. He's kind of Joe's bitch for a yeah. good little bit of the first season, especially in the beginning. Bearded Scoot. Yeah, bearded Scoot. Yeah. <laughs> Cuck Scoot. <laughs> but I will I will agree with you, Drew, on one thing that I after having that great scene between Donna and Cam where they basically outline their future company and then it all falling apart, I didn't love that it ended on this kind of open ending of like, hey, but anyways, I know we just discussed about yeah. our plan failing, but what if we did make a company yeah, anyways? They set up a beautiful, like, kind of uh, agreement where they yeah. come to, like, yeah, we could, but we shouldn't. And we then should they, never they're work just together like, nah, fuck we have, it. We have friendship now. Yeah, and then so, they're like, 
hey, but fuck friendship. Let's make another business so, yeah, together. I don't Let's know. It just seemed like basically the best scene in the episode was made moot. But don't you think that just that just speaks to the fact that they're just doomed to fail again. I, I mean, think that their yeah. relationship is that's just going to fall apart. That's the way that anyway. I take it is that it's just kind of this, it's very, very cyclical. Also, um, I will say uh, probably the worst, the cringiest part of the entire last two episodes, I think it was in the second to last episode was uh, when they discovered that they'd been, been outdone by Yahoo. Oh, oh my and God. Donna's just sitting there like Yahoo. Yahoo? Yahoo. You're saying, You're it, saying with, it with a question mark. It's Yahoo. That yeah, that honestly kind of bothered me. Like, yeah, I didn't that like was that. So on the nose. It was it was too way too on the nose. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a perfect finale, but I think that it, I mean, especially with Donna's monologue at the end there at the party, it just kind of wrapped up the themes of the show and what mm-hmm. it's always been about and how it just comes down to the people and the relationships that they form with each other and the interactions that really impact how you view yourself and how you view your life and how you cope with growing and changing and and realizing what's important. Mm. I mean, yeah, there there were a lot of really, really great character moments, especially the very first uh, scene of episode nine. Yes. uh, Joe gives his monologue, uh, where they're finally ready to like relaunch uh, Comet, and he dedicates it, he dedicates it with to Gordon, and he gives this whole big speech, and it's really really touching, and it really hits you on an emotional level. I actually I think um, uh, Lee Pace's work on this season is oh, it's... absolutely exemplary. Yeah, underrated. Like I've always been a fan of Scoot McNary, but Lee truly outpaced. Everyone. Whoa. Deadline.com. But seriously, like, like, Lee Pace needs to be a movie star. Like, he's a phenomenal, phenomenal actor. And he's had such an incredible arc on this show. Like, it sucks that nobody is watching this show because he has been so, so good. Of of everyone in the main cast, he's like the only person who has kind of managed to play almost different characters within the same character. I'd say him and Donna. Yeah. Because Donna totally Especially with flips. the latest season, yeah. yeah. Donna totally does like a complete 180 on her character in season one. Mm. Um, but I... Oh, uh, another thing that just reminded me talking about season one was um, we had a little bit of flashback work in the second to last episode. And shout out to the makeup team on Halt and Catch Fire because I get like time hasn't really elapsed to the point that they're saying that it has within the show, but they do a great, great job of making these characters look 10 years older or then suddenly having a flashback scene and making these characters look younger than they were in season one. Yeah. And there's this really, really touching like back and forth exchange between Gordon and Donna that results in Gordon just kind of getting his car and running away to try and like run away from his problems which kind of mirror images uh, a scene that Donna had earlier on. Yeah. Well, we, in the we season. talked about this last week. Was that last week? Yeah, we, talked, we, about we talked about this last week about how, like, that moment where he jumps off the cliff is him saying, like, look, I'm scared. I'm terrified to do this, but I'm just going to fucking do it. Like, we're going to have this family. We're going to buckle down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is going to happen. Um. But, but I, I, I mean,. Scoot's dead, so he wasn't really in the finale that much. I mean, we did get one scene with Joni that I thought was really good when she calls home 
because she goes to Europe. That's the scene I I wanted to talk about. Yeah, that Mm -hmm. was a standout scene. I mean, especially because Joni's been the most underdeveloped character in the show. And And she she gets this one scene to tell this sort of monologue story. Yeah, she had a good moment. Uh, And she, you know, touched Donna in a way. It, it, that was that was a really solid. The, scene. the story she tells is uh, of this really beautiful experience in this sort of Buddhist mm-hmm. temple, I think, with a tree, and everyone around her, everyone she's with, uh, starts like, I guess, bowing and praying to this tree, and, and they, she they like feel, crawl up to it. Yeah, because yeah, because you, you can't yeah. you can't like disrespect the Buddha, and she feels her father's presence. Mm-hmm. Her dead father is there spiritually in this temple with her. And she just had to call her mom and tell her about this. And you you feel like her genuine connection to her father. And like, it's so beautiful how, you know, Gordon's death is having these very different and, and you know, unexpected impact on all the people around him. I mean, we, we get that scene with Sarah in... Um, the eighth episode where mm-hmm. she is just completely shaken and and terrified and right. frozen at the whole situation. But then you get this scene with Joni where she is actually, I guess m- not moving on, but, but like she's come to this acceptance that her father is with her, but in a different state. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's this, yeah, it is you like really, an acceptance. You really see, like, throughout this uh, finale, I thought they did a really, really excellent job of portraying each of the way that these characters interpret their own acceptance with Gordon's death yeah. and how they each move on with it. If anything, Joe is the character that has the hardest time moving on. Yeah. And you can tell that he is the one who is the most emotionally shaken And his performance is so and fucking And that's why, good. yeah, you can really tell it just in yeah. like the subtle movements that he does with his face and, and the, with his mouth. Yes, and the way he's trying to interact with Haley and trying to connect with her because he doesn't want to be her replacement father, but he loves her so much. Mm-hmm. And he wants her to be okay. He truly, truly cares about her. And he's just struggling with that changing dynamic of, like, knowing that this girl just lost her father and, like, wanting to be there for her mm. and wanting her to be okay. Good show. I'm going to miss the show, guys. Like, so I much. can't believe it's over. I mean, I just really hope the best for all these actors and actresses. Like, I'm glad Mackenzie Davis had an awesome performance in Blade Runner. Um I really, really hope that Lee Pace gets more. I hope that Scoot isn't totally ostracized after yeah. his performance in BVS. I think he'll make a comeback in Justice League. Oh God! What if what if <laughs> Superman doesn't come back from the dead, from the grave, yeah. but Scoot does? Yeah. yeah, no, we need a Comes Scoot out from the Superman. wheelchair. No, because like in the comics, when Superman dies, there's like imposter Superman, like mm. saying that they're Superman. So we need like a scoot. Yeah. Superman. And, everyone, and everyone's like, no one is like, Hey, that guy doesn't look anything like him. Everyone's like, Oh yeah. That, and that he comes like wheeling in a wheelchair. He's like, Hey guys, I'm yeah. a Superman. <laughs> that could work. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. We love you all. Shout out to honestly, Dav for sending us that question. Uh, you're, you're a good guy. Good luck with your video. Hopefully we'll, we'll see it soon. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, don't just I'm, totally get rid of the whole porn thing. Like we remember what we said. So, and I 
probably not going to watch JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Just going <laughs> to yeah. be honest with you, okay? I don't know where to find it. Maybe you should provide details for that. Provide we're, me to a YouTube link. Jesus. Now that we're in the double digits, like we're going to have some great stuff coming for you guys. New, we're fucking big shots now. New segments. Yeah, new segment. We're not even going to explain it, but it's called it's, We Fought a Mike. So <laughs> what, just, fam. what fam? What fam? Um, among other things, more guests. Like We're, we're going to try to have... Uh, people on to discuss justice league and um the front bottoms thor and ragnarok. thor ragnarok and uh guy and i are going to a fallout boy concert in a few weeks that we yeah. will have her on november is going to be good so yeah november is going to be a fat month shout out to harry shout out to thad we're going to try to get you guys on shout here. out to gaia who's sitting like two feet away from me mm. shout out to brett um, shout out to snyder colin podcast yeah just check those guys out, but like after you finished listening to us first, please listen to like one episode of their podcast <laughs> and then come back, and then just be like, "That was fine," and then come back and listen to all of ours. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, just uh, send us some fan mail, send us some hate mail. We bought a mic at gmail dot com. Mm. Um, anything you want us to talk about, we'll talk about. You know, we are anything you want us to watch. Yeah, I'm looking. I mean. We're starting to kind of reach that point where a lot of TV shows are ending. Of course, Halt and Catch Fire yeah. just wrapping up. I still want to talk about Mr. Robot. Oh, and we have to talk about Leftovers whenever you finish it, Hunter, because I finished it today. Oh, man. Wow. Give me like another like three years yeah. or so and I'll catch up. Fuck you, dude. Like, <laughs> what a fucking No, we have show. to make a deal. If I catch up on Twin Peaks, you have to catch up on All right, deal. No, deal. dude. We'll be, do a you, Twin Peaks Leftovers Because pod. you have a lot less to watch than i do because twin peaks is like 18 hours minimum yeah but and it feels like years leftovers <laughs> leftovers is much more draining than twin peaks is twin peaks is like a, it's like a fucking roller coaster it's a fun ride what are you oh, talking boy. About? <laughs> it's like okay dude, you it's don't really do you twin don't peaks, even know twin peaks is like walking through the best possible haunted house at halloween horror nights and it's really, you don't know where you are, and you're separated from all your friends, and you're naked, and you're alone, and you're scared, and you're crying. But at the same time, like, you're really happy, and you can't wait to see what comes next. And you're also really, really hard yeah, and horny. Yeah, and David Lynch is blowing cigarette smoke <laughs> into your face. Hunter has this dream every it's night. It's good to see you again, old friend. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you can like our Facebook page, We Bought a Mic, or like us on Instagram at We Bought a Mic. Um, send us your or, undying yeah, love and dedication. Follow us individually on Twitter. I'm at Drew Dietzen. Hunter's at Hunt Mobley. And I'm um, at Caldernist. Yeah. So that's all linked down in the in the links below. Yeah, we're not even gonna spell it anymore for you guys because just it's, like it's, fucking read. It's Jesus all down Christ, there. Dude. It's all like, down there. Hit us up. Send us questions. We love you. We love you. Um, I mean, I think you guys are okay. Any anything else you guys want to talk about while I pull up our closeout song? And my phone is dead. So oh. somebody else hit me up with that. Hit me up with that. Uh, no. Boom. Nope, that's not right. Bye, guys. Bye. Whoa, whoa.